Nadia. I'm Jordan. I'm Jamie. I'm Ward. I'm Jose. I'm Justin. And, and this, this is, is Comics Verse. Most people know about Captain America from the Marvel movies, but a lot of people have yet to check out the comics. While other people like Bucky Barnes and Sam Wilson have also had the moniker of Captain America in the comics, Steve Rogers has definitely had it the longest as the original Captain America. In the 1930s and 1940s, Captain America was a symbol of America, American freedom really, who fought against the Nazis, but he was also used as a tool for American propaganda, which we read a little bit of in Captain Savage, which kind of blew my mind, I'm not going to lie, in all the wrong ways. While most people are aware of these facts, some people aren't aware Steve Rogers, the original Captain America, has been embroiled in a controversy since last year. Last year, he was revealed to be an undercover agent working for a secret society called Hydra. Most people might know that from the movies as well, or Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And Hydra once aligned themselves with the Nazis in World War II. So as you can imagine, this caused quite a stir. And on this July 4th, I thought it would be important to celebrate Captain America as a symbol, talk about him being a propaganda tool, and also to delve further into the whole Hydra controversy and secret empire. Much like the Avengers assembled the world's greatest heroes, Comics First here has assembled the world's greatest Captain America fans, and I'm super excited that everyone is here. Uh, So before I introduce the panel, let me quickly remind everyone that you can find more podcasts like this one, articles, interviews, videos, and more over at comicsfirst.com. So first up, Nadia Shamas. Welcome to your first podcast, Nadia. Thank you. It's really great to have you here. Uh, So you recently had an opportunity to interview Nick Spencer, who wrote all this stuff, at Five Points Festival in New York City. Did you learn anything in particular from that interview that you weren't previously aware of? Or did anything he say change your perspective in any way? Well, um, I was always pro-Secret Empire. And honestly, I was a fan of Nick Spencer before his announcement as the writer of Captain America, Steve Rogers, and Sam Wilson, respectively, um, because I was a fan of Morning Glories. Um, In my interview, I asked him, you know, quite a few questions about Secret Empire as it stood at the time of the interview, and also about his other projects, including The Fix, which again, I also recommend, very funny. But the point is, is that um, he didn't really have to sell me on anything. I was already a fan, and speaking to him only gave me more confidence in his ability to weave this very tightly knit and very, very timely story. So if... Before, I had hopes that Secret Empire would be fantastic. I now truly believe Secret Empire will be a masterpiece. Awesome. So it bolstered what you kind of thought about it and gave you even higher hopes. Um, Exactly. And uh, so far, he hasn't disappointed. All right, cool. Uh, So we have two people kind of on the other side of the rink here. Um, So also on your first podcast is Marvel Comics editor for Comics First, Jordan Parrish. Welcome, Jordan. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. So excited to have you. Uh, So I remember when we first, first talked, you mentioned you weren't a fan of this whole secret empire thing, and we're going to discuss that a lot more in depth, but real quick, have your feelings changed at all since the reading that we did or kind of still feel the same way? I agree with Nadia that it is a pretty good story, Um, but at the same time, I still find myself hesitating to say that I actually like it. Uh, I think I still am just really connected with the old non-Hydra cap that I just have really loved for a really long time. No, I feel you. And I think that's a great perspective to have. And it'll be awesome when people listening to this podcast hear us all fighting and punching each other and ripping each other's hair out. Yeah, definitely. Great. 
It'll be Secret War 3. Oh my god, it will be Secret War. It'll be like Secret Empire War. Civil War. Secret, secret, I, I don't know. There's a lot of secrets. Secret Invasion, Secret Empire, Secret Wars, two Secret Wars. Marvel has a lot of secrets. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think I actually intended to say Civil War 3, since oh. we just finished up Civil War 2. Could be Secret Civil War. I don't think this is funny. Um, no. but it's okay. This we're we're going to, we're going to keep it. Um, okay. So also someone who hates Captain America and American freedom is, um, Ward Williams, but I don't think Ward can make it right because I think he's been replaced in an unprecedented crossover, uh, from DC comics. So I wanted to welcome Batman villain Bane. Bane, thank you so much for joining us. Ah, Justin, thank you for hiring me. I'm so excited to be part of the team. You must die. I'm kind of excited about all of that except for the last part. But, um, Bane, how do you feel about... Do you have time to read Captain America comics as you're um, doing drugs? No, I'm too busy breaking people. (coughs) Oh, hey, Justin. Sorry, I was uh, under that mask the whole time. that was you the whole time? Yeah, who knew? Oh, my God. I had no idea. Me neither. I don't know how I got in there. I don't know either. I just, I, I don't know what just happened, but I know Bane was here and now he's not. That smile says it all. Um, all right. So tell us why, why do you hate Captain America and America and freedom? It, the thing is, I mean, I only hate like at least two out of three of those things, maybe, but I love Captain America. He's like my third favorite superhero. Awesome. Um, no, but in all seriousness, I remember we were talking about it earlier and you were saying this isn't, you're not a huge fan of this arc. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I should also say that you're the DC section head, which is really important. Sorry. I'm just adding that later. I thought I was mostly just hired on for my Bane impression. Uh, I mean, yeah, but you're also the DC Comics section head at comics first, but seriously, what are you most looking forward to discussing today? Well, I mean, it's, I'm really glad to see that we've had like a, kind of neat divide of people like how their feelings are on this book. And I'm interested to hear like the back and forth because it's, there's definitely regardless of what I think of this, uh, which, you know, as you established, I'm not a huge fan. It's been very, I feel one-sided and sometimes the discussion can be very, I don't want to say overreacting. Like this is a very sensitive topic for a lot of people for obvious reasons, but at the same time, this is also like the book came out, you could argue at a poor time, but at the same time, this is still just a comic book. You know, not saying it doesn't have any importance to people, but right. I don't know if you guys can see Nadia, but she's crying in the corner right now. I would argue that this came at exactly the right time, but we could talk about that later. <laughs> we will get into all that stuff. And you know what? To give us some street cred, Jose Robledo is here. I, I, I just really made your name very non-Hispanic just right now, Jose. People have trouble rolling the R. I, I, I'm not a good R roller. I'm going to be honest. Uh, and whenever I'm expected to speak Spanish, I just get more and more gringo which I hope is not an insulting term because, you know, it's hard to keep up with all the insult- insulting terms these days. But you, you lend us some street cred. You're in the U.S. Army. Oh, well, in terms of uh, how uh, Steve Rogers and they're all kind of like uh, the whole patriotism thing. Yeah. And I mean, you like you are Captain America for as far as I know. Um, I'm only lieutenant right now. I'll hopefully I get promoted next year, though. Lieutenant America. I think it's the way to go. But uh, in all seriousness, you were I think you were on like our second podcast ever. Oh, man, that's going all the way back, right? Yeah, that's going all the way back. And ironically, we did the same podcast like four years later, and you're on that one, too. Yeah, but I, I, I show up for, the, uh, for those, the, uh, the women, Muslims, and uh, war. Amen. That's all I want to show up for, too. 
so I think it's great that you're you're joining us. Thank you so much for being here. So what are you, what are you most excited to discuss today? Well, actually, it's funny the the whole concept of of like the sliding patriotism and um, hyper nationalism and and how that if that iconography still is relevant in in comics and how we talk about it in in society. Awesome. I hope we get to the bottom of that a little bit today. So also joining us last up is Jamie Rice going on three years on this podcast. Um, did you know that little known fact though, that I think even like a year and a half before you joined, Jose had done one of the first podcasts we ever did. That's amazing. Honestly, uh, I can tell how amazed you are by the excitement in your voice. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I am amazed. It's more like I just, I was looking at the script and it was like Jamie Rice going on three years. And I was like, Oh my God. I know. Right. Aren't we old? Yeah, it feels like I'm getting old. I, I feel like I'm very old. I, I feel um, like a novagenarian, which I just learned that term during the <laughs> Logan movie, to also bring it back to uh, to comics. Um, but you know what I'm going to ask you? I always ask you the same question, which is give some advice to some of the podcast newbies here. And you always come up with a different and eloquent answer, and I love it. And it's like kind of like the new challenge. Oh, man. I mean, I would say for this week, I would say, I mean... I think the best for this is to be yourself because I think it's so divisive. So I would say to just like stick to your opinion on it and then flush it out and then see how it goes. So I think this is the podcast where like you need to like root into your thought. Um, Cause I, I texted everyone kind of in our little group chat about how I felt initially for the podcast, how I really liked it. And I think I still like it a lot, but I think this is a good podcast for people to root into their opinion and be like, I love it or I hate it. And then flesh it out because I think that everyone has such, as Ward was kind of mentioning, or Bane, um, divisive opinions. So I think it's good for us to like kind of root into those. So I would say I would encourage people on this podcast to stick to the opinion um, and see how it goes. And not hold back, right? Yep. Yep. This is the time. As Xavier once said to Jean in X-Men Apocalypse, let go Jean, to which she became Phoenix, to which the worst movie I've ever seen concluded. Anyway. Excellent. <laughs> but yeah just a reminder definitely check out nadia's interview with nick spencer and nadia and jordan also did this really amazing round table having a discussion about this which is a little bit more in depth and a little bit different but um definitely check it out because it's some some good stuff but yeah let's dive in speaking broadly about captain america what sort of psychological impact might captain america comics have had on the 1940s when soldiers are receiving them american troops and they see him fighting nazi soldiers fighting fighting the japanese let's talk about the psychological impact that had because we also read a little bit of captain what was his name captain savage captain and savage the and the leathernecks uh it wasn't enough that he was savage he needed those leathernecks and my favorite was the french one for obvious stereotypical and really horrible reasons but let's talk about that psychological impact back then and how Captain America was used as a tool for propaganda. I think there was something very powerful. I mean, I kind of enjoyed how in the most recent Captain America run, half of it is kind of the past and half is the future, considering how this kind of behavior by Captain America could affect society. So for me, I, I thought it was interesting. So I think there was some acknowledgement about like the at least in the way they rewrote the history at least for the captain america comic there was an acknowledgement of like the way that captain america acted affected america in a very specific way and i mean i think it was a very specific 1944 anti-nazi way so i mean for me i would say 
at least I think the psychological impact, even the book acknowledges when they are pro Hydra is very specific, like very anti a certain enemy. I mean, you think about how like, I mean, this is pulling out of opposite areas necessarily, but like, you know, like you like see the new Wonder Woman movie and they kind of talk about how it's easy to assume there's one enemy. I feel like in the propaganda with Captain America, it was like, there's one enemy and it is like Hitler or something, or like it's Hydra. And like, I think that I like this book because it complicated that narrative. So I think that propaganda, propaganda air quote is interesting in that sense. So uh, I think that, uh, Jamie, you bring up a really good point because, you know, reading this uh, comic, it was really funny for us because it was so stereotypical. It bordered on offensive and it ca- it created all these kind of... I would even of, say more than bordered. Yeah, it was pretty offensive. I thought it crossed the border. Yeah, it crossed the border a few far. times. I went, went into the country after. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it crossed two borders. It was incredibly offensive um, and it relied it very heavily on... <laughs> stereotypes and but and for us it's kind of funny because we know better but for the readers at that time who don't have the internet who don't have kind of these complex ideas about narrative and identity because it is a new medium this is something that could be taken very seriously especially since it is um at that time maybe a little bit more targeted towards children than this current captain america run that nick spencer did so i think that it's obviously you know it can be very uplifting to people to kind of uh during wartime during active wartime but however it can shape perceptions in a way that could be negative it's it's you know very much propaganda it's always a double-edged sword it's also important to talk about how uh captain america comics shaped uh perspective on the war before america was actually in the war um because they were coming out before we were actually fighting anybody which you know marvel got and if anybody you know uh, any of our listeners know their uh, history with comics, you know, Marvel, or I guess maybe they're still timely back then. They got a lot of flack for basically being like, what's it? War provokers. It's like, there's a specific term, but I can't remember, but like, you know, they got a lot of flack for this uh, America flag clad superhero going out and fighting the the Nazis. And so, you know, once we got into war, it's like, well, everyone was like, Oh, now we're totally into captain America. And I think that's important to talk about both how, or at least both consider how, this character, and not just this character, obviously, all the, all the comics coming out, like they were all pretty much talking about this, but specifically this one, how people's opinions of it as like a source of inspiration, as propaganda, change depending on what our thoughts on what we were being propagandized to, I suppose. So I should also say that we read Captain Savage because Captain Savage and the Leathernecks and his Leathernecks uh, was the first appearance of Hydra and explained the history of uh, Baron von Strucker. Um, you know, I don't know if my pronunciation is right there, but I tried. Uh, but that's why we read this. And, you know, we're talking about this in addition to the old Captain America comics. For those of you who aren't quite with us or haven't read those, I should say, not aren't quite with us. But, yeah, I, I couldn't help but notice my how comics have changed. Because, actually, believe it or not, Jose, the podcast that you and I first did is going to come back and rear its ugly head. Because, remember, we talked about Frank Miller's Holy Terror. And Frank Miller argued that Holy Terror was captain america for 2003 or four or whatever it was and that it was okay to quote unquote fight muslims because he was invoking the captain america of the 1940s but in a different way with new characters that were were quote unquote not batman and quote unquote not catwoman but really were those characters 
I remember, but I also remember kind of having issues with the, I mean, war is never, never clear cut. Like we, we have always the retrospect, you know, or sorry, the, the perspective of hindsight to be able to look back and say, Oh, clearly these were, this was the enemy and this is what happened. And, but at the time, I mean, there were people that were conflicted, you know, going back to world war two, there were people in the United States that were conflicted about the war, especially a lot of German Americans. And it's not like, it's not like the U S had a great uh, opinion of Jews either before or after the war. So, you know, now we look back and, and we can say, oh, clearly this was a good guy. This was a bad guy. And that was, that was what I found problematic then about uh, talking about holy war a couple of years ago and, and this, but yeah, we'll talk about it more in a minute. Let me ask this question then, because I don't want to, rather than render my opinion, but wasn't, or couldn't someone make an argument that propaganda for World War II that made soldiers feel like they were in the right was, I don't want to say like more honest, because weren't we really in the right then versus um, the wars of the aughts? I think the important distinction to make is, and this is obviously someone who uh, is respected, you know, I haven't been in a war. I don't want to like claim to know a lot about that field, but in retrospect and respect to comics, like holy, or if we're quoting Frank Miller correctly, I I think his statement was, this is, it's okay to fight Muslims, but with Captain America comics, it was, it's okay to fight Nazis, not it's okay to fight Germans. And obviously granted that still gets a little muddled and it's like, Oh, it's okay to fight the Japanese because and again, like that's a whole nother field where that's a very much different problem. But like, it's like if you're saying holy terror is about fighting ISIS or like these very specific group, then the the reason you're fighting is because they're bad. And the way he frames it, like the lens of the, the the view of it is that it's like fighting a specific group of people. And that's a whole different, I think, way to like look at how art influences propaganda. Because I think at least for the most part, it's usually okay to like want to stop nazis but you know if you like invoke people based on their like specific traits and that's a whole nother thing i don't want to say i was taken aback by the depiction of japanese and captain savage but i was more i mean i was beyond offended i think i mean and, and who would not be right what a horrible depiction and, and what an othering depiction of, of people and i think that that can kind of get into stuff that's problematic yeah i uh agree that there's this kind of problematic thing happening in something like holy terror. And, but even if you want to make that distinction between, you know, fighting ISIS and and fighting Muslims, when you talk about propaganda, the thing about propaganda is that it doesn't really make that distinction. You know what I mean? Like they don't ever kind of sit down and go, well, you know, just so you know, people could be Nazis for a range of reasons. Maybe they're afraid. Maybe they're, you know, there's different reasons. At least, you know, Nick Spencer's Captain America run, when he talks about kind of the recruits of Hydra, he does kind of uh, play a little bit with why people would be drawn to this kind of thing. But in kind of older comics and in more propagandistic stories, they don't really make that distinction. So where so the reader won't sit there and think, oh, Nazis specifically, not Germans. In fact, it's a lot easier for us in our consciousness to lump them all together, a.k.a. all Nazis are Germans, all Germans are Nazis. You know what I mean? Even if that's not exactly true, it's just that the narrative and again like i said that these things were more targeted towards younger people that it causes kind of a 
it causes kind of a generalization. And we do that here in America. We see that here in America when we talk about ISIS. We don't think there are some people in ISIS. I mean, there have to be entire shows and messages dedicated to tell people that not all Muslims are ISIS, you know? So it would kind of stand to serve that that same problem probably happened then. Absolutely. I think that was some of my favorite writing in all of what we read, and we're going to get into that later, with Nick Spencer kind of depicting why certain people were joining Hydra. And I think that you said something that was so true about propaganda. They don't make that distinction, and it's supposed to be real, right? It's supposed to convince people it's real. And I think of Sun Tzu, who wrote The Art of War, and that one of the most important parts of war is that you need to have the people on the side of, of wanting to have the war. Yeah, I mean, I'm mostly going to echo what Nadia was saying, but I think that was my favorite and what you were saying. And that my favorite writing was the part where, especially in the first issue of Captain America Steve Rogers for this run, where he kind of like explained away why someone might think this is a good idea. And then, of course, I liked how all of the other books kind of explained that same idea, like this is why this might be, seem a good idea to someone else. And I think that really explained a lot. I mean, either it didn't explain, like, I mean, it kind of obviously led to the point where you're like, so the greatest idea is to ruin other people. Like, that's a bad idea. But of course, it kind of came along in a way that I enjoyed. I think it explained why someone might think this is a good idea. I mean, even like to yourself, like, you're like, maybe this is a good idea. Like, I think, I mean, it goes back to Justin, you were talking a lot before the podcast, like, what is Hydra? What is the goal? Blah, 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 blah. And I feel like it was always simple. And then I read this run and I was like, okay, maybe it's not simple um, because they very much in a lot of ways differentiate themselves from like traditional Nazism and like a just complete genocide. I mean, I think it still thrives in that idea, but there is a question there. And I think that's one of the good things about this run and about propaganda in general, like kind of questioning. I mean, I like the way that Maria Hill is depicted mostly in this run which I, I'm sure is a divisive opinion, but like, I mean, then again, when you look at her, you're like, well, how do you, how are you supposed to feel? Like she did all these crazy things. Is it, is it worth it? Like just it's my side. And I think that's why I kind of, why I like the run too. It makes you question like, is it worth it to do these crazy manipulative brainiac things to like get my, my choice, like the, the right way. So I think that when it comes back all together to the propaganda part, it makes you question like what's worth it for like my right view. Because I think my view is right. Like, I think the view is right, but then it causes suffering and the weird, pleasant hell situation. Like, you know, it, it makes you makes you think, makes you question, which I like. I think Nick Spencer did a good thing there. I was a fan of Hill too in the story. I I, just, I didn't find myself judging her. Yeah, I was. I was. I thought that she was made very interesting and fun in the in the story. I like that. The only point I was going to make was regarding the propaganda piece. So. The, the nature of war is also slightly different in terms of how we view it. So if you roll the clock back to, again, World War II, you know, we were still looking at nation states waging war on each other. So that changes how you view, who you view the bad guy. The Germans, Germans were synonymous for, for the most part with Nazis in the sense that we fought wars against countries. Unlike now where you know, with all these proxy wars, you're looking at, you know, splinter groups and sectarianism. So, and, and now we're forced to look at the, uh, you know, ununiformed combat personnel that, that are involved in conflicts in addition to uniform combat personnel. Back then, it's, it's not necessarily that it was a, a function of propaganda as much as it was just a cultural thing where 
people look, you know, it was wars were fought, you know, per, you know, people versus people, nations versus nations. It wasn't necessarily how we look at it now where you say, well, it's a Muslim country, but it's not an entire Muslim country. It's actually not even everybody within that country that's Muslim in general. And that's, you know, obviously that's a, a function of us ending up being the global hegemon from after the Cold War. And now that's that's being thrown for its own loop as to how how that is all being policed up by the Russians in Syria and so on and so forth. But however, I digress. I think it wasn't necessarily a deliberate thing of a propaganda machine as much as it just that's the way people thought about it. So it was adjustable for them to be for and it was natural for them to be presented that way. Yeah, kind of going off that point and then back to Jamie and Nadia's point, all of them combined together. Um, I was just thinking about how Jamie was like, what's worth it? And Nadia's like, the Germans were the Nazis. Um, the same thing happened kind of like with this propaganda with in Captain Savage, where like we had the Japanese internment camps. And so we always looked at the Japanese as like the bad people, regardless of whether they were actually fighting against us or not. Um, so like, on one hand, I kind of would see it like, okay, like maybe this is hopeful. Like, yes, we're fighting the Nazis or fighting the bad guys. But on the other hand, it is propaganda. So it is purposely looking at the bad guys and being like, okay, you are bad and we're making you bad, which can definitely be super harmful. I think what struck me too about the Captain Savage and his leatherneck friends was that it was it 1963 that it came out. I believe it was 1968. 1968. Wow. So that's five years after the X-Men came out. That's 23 years after the end of World War II. And they're still depicting Japanese people like that. And also that poor French man um, who, when he almost died, said, thank God I can live. I can put my arms around another woman again. What I was going to say about kind of the question about the intention of propaganda, and I think that your point kind of leads into that, is that while uh, propaganda might not always end up being intentionally made to be propaganda, it the effects of it and the effects of it in the social consciousness is a thing that we should consider. So when we talk about Captain America as an American symbol or Captain America as, you know, something that shouldn't be touched, which was the argument for a lot of people who are against Secret Empire before it even came out, it, it shows that we aren't willing to look at the origins and look at the problems of his origins. If Captain America is your favorite hero, you should at least be able to look back and recognize the shortcomings of that storytelling and the things that might be dangerous about it before you kind of come for an expenser and say that he's doing a dangerous thing. It was never so clear. So Ed Brubacher famously wrote The Depth of Captain America in the Aughts. And I guess I want to ask, is Captain America still a symbol for American culture now like he was then? And how has it changed if you think it's changed since his original incarnation? I hope I don't offend anyone who is a big fan of Captain America, but Captain America came from a time and uh, if he was a real person, his worldview would be something that we would be pretty, uh, pretty upset by. And uh, yes, people can change as time goes on, but he was developed in a time where, you know, segregation was still going strong um, and 
a place where, uh, I hate to say, but white supremacists will be very comfortable uh, in American history. And so I think that if we're going to talk about Captain America as a symbol of America, we do need to recognize kind of he was the symbol of America before America looked like we do now. And um, I understand that many people will argue that Captain America doesn't necessarily stand for American values, but he stands more for what America could be or the desire to always do good. But I don't know if that holds up. I mean, all heroes kind of desire to do good, almost all of them at least. And um, and I, that's why I think the inclusion of Sam Wilson as a new Captain America is so important because Sam Wilson represents America now more than Kid Steve Rogers does. And um, so... And it's funny because uh, Nick Spencer's Captain America, his rewritten history, is someone who, you know, if he was taken in by the right people, would have bred him as a supremacist, not necessarily a white supremacist, but a supremacist, in fact. And uh, I think that that's very realistic. I mean, you know, Captain America, when he was unthawed from the ice, seeing an interracial couple for the first time, what would he have thought? Do you know what I mean? Like, it must have been shocking. So, and that's exactly it. He is not from our America. He can grow in order to include himself in our America, but Sam Wilson is our real Captain America. You know, it's interesting for people to hold on to him so strongly, especially in a time we, where we are so concerned and many comic readers are so concerned with diversity that for us all to kind of hold on to him so strongly. And Nick Spencer even said this in the interview I did with him where he talked about how Sam Wilson was Captain America but was treated differently because of who he was, because he was not Steve Rogers, because of his background. You know, and the, uh, I think that that's kind of why I take some issue with people who say you can't touch an American symbol like Captain America that shows a lot of um, arrogance. Well, and also, I forgot to say this before, and I misspoke when I said Steve Rogers was the original Captain America. He wasn't. The original Captain America, was it was his name Isaiah Washington? If I don't remember, who was Captain America in Captain America Red, White, and Black? Originally, they experimented on black people using the super soldier serum that was used on Captain America. So I wanted to add that too, and that's how... Um, the original Captain America and Captain America Red, White, and Black was created. Captain America Truth Red, White, and Black was created. I had something I want to say, but also I want to add like two little things onto the front just before I, because I don't want to like make it sound like I'm disagreeing with uh, uh, all of what Nadia said. So first thing, Sam Wilson is Captain America. Yes. All of my yes. I totally agree with that. He's awesome as Captain America. His suit just looks cool in and of itself. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I'm, when I'm talking, well, actually first I want to, Talk about ultimate Captain America sucks. <laughs> no one likes him. So I just want to put that out front. I don't think if there's a single person alive who enjoys the version of Captain America that is in the ultimate universe or was, I guess, because it's gone now. So Nadia sort of already said it, but I don't think Captain America, and it feels dumb saying this now after she said it, but I don't think Captain America is supposed to represent what America is. It's supposed to be what it could be. And you're right, you know, from a standpoint of like his physical characteristics like his race his uh, gender his background like all that you're right doesn't factor into a realistic version of america today so we're but i'm talking about more specifically morals and i think there actually is a lot of comic book history to back that up like twice in the past when the government uh, changed into and grant you have to bear in mind that the uh, writers at the time were all pretty liberal so this is so their version you can argue politics and ethics and morality like how that works out is a whole nother field that's not what i'm talking about but for them when the government shifted to like a bad version of what could be Captain America, put down the moniker of Captain America and became something else that happened twice. 
And the times in the past where Captain America has been like an asshole and not super cool or, or progressive usually end up getting retconned as like, oh, this was a guy who was also wearing the suit at the time and he's crazy. It, like the like the times during the Cold War where it was like this super like, oh, America, you know, yeah, like I, I'm basically the ultimate Captain America like 50 years ahead of time. And that guy was, that turned out to be a totally different dude. And so that's why I think it's weird that just now, after all of that, after the fact for a character that, again, you're right, for the writing of the time, he was not the most progressive character. He doesn't represent America as it is today. But for a character that has always been at least in attempt to be very open-minded and good to just now be joining the bad guys, that doesn't make sense to me. It's just, I remembering the scene where Captain America is fighting Nuke, who's like, uh, he's like a big muscle dude with like a flag on the American flag on his face. And the, the, Nuke is like, oh, I, I'm angry because there's all these immigrants here and they're taking my jobs. And Steve's like, hey, I'm an immigrant. And the whole point of this, you know, fighting and stuff we're doing is so that people can have peace in this country. Like we're trying to help people. And I don't see that character as being able to be this person, not because of it would be unrealistic. It, I mean, let's be honest, it's, you know, demographic. It'd totally be a little realistic that in the proper circumstances, Steve Rogers could become a bad guy. But this is Captain America. He's the superhero of Marvel Universe. This is like Superman being like, ah, oh, you know. I'm, I'm an asshole now. I'm a bad guy. That's just how it is. Uh, someone was mean to me, and now I'm going to take over the world. <clears throat> Injustice. What do you think of the role the Cosmic Cube and the Cosmic Cube girl played in that? Uh, don't you think that that can make for some out-of-character characterization, frankly? Well, you're right. I mean, it would be a lot worse if this was just like, nah, this is just Captain America now, you know? But like... At the same time, well, first off, I'm pretty sure Nick Spencer said, like, this is not reality warping. This is not mind control. This is just how Captain America is now. And then it's like the next issue. It was reality warping. Granted, I mean, obviously, I don't want this to be Captain America forever, but it's hard to get invested in a character I know is going to change because there's no way this is going to stick. And it's like, I get it. This is technically just a story, like a what if sort of thing. But it's also like, you know, hey, would you like to see a story about Batman joining the NRA or Superman joining ICE or Wonder Woman becoming a meninist? Like, this is so against this character's ideals that even if the story is good, and in fact, I don't think the writing is bad in this these series, but like, this isn't a story I want to read, just objectively. It's not fun for me. And I can't really find a lot of enjoyment in that, that something just feels wrong. I can just say, I can find a lot of enjoyment in writing a story, in reading a story where Wonder Woman becomes a meninist. I would actually love to read that. The first thing, I, when, I, when he said... Wonder Woman becomes a Mennonist. I was like, wait, is that like Mennonite? And I was like, oh, wait, never mind. But it would it, roughly the same effect. The first thought that I had is that you can look to going back to when is Captain America still the symbol of America? And there's two ways to look at it. And, and neither of them, I think, are flattering, no matter how you answer the question. If you say, was Captain, first of all, I don't think Captain America was emblematic of the United States. Um, I don't, even back in World War II. Because even if you want to consider the idea that Captain America was fighting Nazis and, and taking that war on face first, there was still a whole part of America that did not identify with him. And I mean, just black America could not identify with him in the same way. And the, the stories of the Tuskegee Airmen and the Buffalo Soldiers before that, like lots of guy, you know, guys that fought in in the wars for the United States that were black 
were never given their moment to shine. It, that stuff didn't happen until way later. So just looking at it from the soldier to soldier perspective, those guys could not have been identified with Captain America except on a very superficial level on the one hand. On the other hand, he was emblematic, but that was of, a, of an America that particular people wanted America to be, not all of America. So in answering the question, you actually can answer it both ways. Yes, he was emblematic of, the, uh, of America, but it was, he was emblematic of, of an America that didn't exist, existed only for a handful of people um, who could enjoy that, that fantasy. And no, he didn't exist for the rest of them. And that's, in, in both of those ways, it has to be a bitter pill to swallow. And if you roll the clock forward to now, I think it's very hard to make, very difficult to make a case for Captain America's being, you know, essentially a flagship, uh, the personification of America in comics now, because we have we still have the same issues, and I think it's just kind of what was the point. The point was brought up earlier that with information flow being the way it is, and with a lot of the social issues coming to the forefront and, and being vocalized how they just like they've never been vocalized before. Um, even few people are going to identify with Captain America. If he was still the same character, I agree. I think that Captain America is a little less enjoyable to read because they're trying to figure out how to inject th that flawed humanity and still keep him America. And that's tough. I think that's, that's just a really hard thing to try to write. Well, Jose, do you think that when people argue and they say, I want my America back, that they're talking about the values that Steve Rogers as Captain America had back then? The values that they had back then were skewed for themselves alone. So when you talk about Captain America was benevolent and Captain America was righteous and Captain America was all these positive attributes, it was those things were only for a handful of people in the United States that couldn't that could actually had the ability to be able to, to enjoy being good. I mean, all right, let, let, I know I'm kind of dancing around it because I just I don't want to head. First of all, we've only been into this for like five, 10 minutes, but um, and these things go on for about an hour and change. So I know that's going to come down later down the road to the point is. Imagine being a black, a black American in 1960s and trying to identify with Captain America and all the goodness and all the righteousness that he's supposed to be. And he gets his way. And if you try to do the same exact thing, you get stomped on by the police just for asking for rights. It's very hard to identify. So, yes, he people did want to, people that say that nowadays they're completely severing. It's a, a historical argument to make to say, well, we want to bring that America back again. It was short, but that America only existed for a handful of people. And it was probably for people that look like you. Um, I completely agree with Jose's point. And uh, the first thing I want to say is that Captain America in this run in Secret Empire and Captain, you know, the Captain America title book, he does still believe he's doing the moral thing. You know, he was taken in by Hydra as a young as a young person and was basically taught that Hydra is the thing that will save the world. Indoctrinated, even, yes, yeah, he was. You know, he was brainwashed ultimately. And the point is, is that his moral compass, even this is kind of the thing that leads his him to butt heads with Red Skull, is his moral compass is still there, but his moral compass is pointing in the wrong direction. He believes that he is doing the right thing, and so I think that I think that that's just kind of a statement being like, you know, look at what 
you know, morale, morality is not enough of kind of a thing to motivate us to do good because all of us might think that good is a different thing. So firstly, that's kind of what the first thing I want to say instead of just being like Captain America is an asshole in this run because I don't think that that's entirely accurate. I think that he doesn't think he's an asshole. He thinks he's doing great. And, you know, I, I think that kind of ties into Jose's point because it's great for people like him, you know. But um, the other thing I wanted to say was that I do think that there is a danger to equating Captain America as an American symbol. I think that that kind of places us in a very idealistic, kind of very like nice identity. It's not, it would nice be nice to think that we were like Captain America. It would be nice to think that America does things because we think we're doing the right thing. Um, that it kind of goes against how much discussion and how much interior motivations and how much ulterior motives led us to even make decisions like going into World War II. We didn't just do it because it was nice. You know, that was what we needed to say public opinion. And in that sense, I think that it's a problem to say that Captain America is the symbol for America and he acts like America would act because it, it kind of gives us this leeway. It gives America this leeway in us not questioning why America does things, not questioning our history. And that's that's a problem. I said it before. It's arrogance to say that, oh, we, we can't look at America in this uh, light. We can't look at Captain America in this light because if we do, then we might see something about ourselves that is distasteful. And I think that is what Nick Spencer, I mean, Nick Spencer made this incredible joke in Secret Empire issue one where they're talking, you know, the Hydra Council is talking about chemtrails and fluoride in the water, which is all real, actual, hilarious conspiracy theories that exist you know, in our consciousness. But the point is, is that he's making an America that, like Hydra's America, not too far from what we're already thinking. You know what I mean? So I think that, yeah, that we uh, kind of equating them, like Jose said, is, is a problematic, it's a problematic, it's a shaky bridge to stand on. You know, we, we were never that good. Yeah, I always, wanted, I always tell people, if you want to have a conversation about American exceptionalism, then you better bring up Japanese internment camps, slavery, and our treatment of Native Americans to begin with. And I think that Captain America as a symbol, like what you're saying, it's dangerous because that it forgets all of that. We would like to be them. We would like to be moralistic. We would like to think that, oh, we made a mistake because we thought it was the right thing. But that's not really how politics works. And we should... Be critical because that allows us to look at our leaders and demand of them the truth and the right direction instead of giving them just kind of this cover of them being like, well, we thought we thought there were weapons in Iraq. We thought we were giving them democracy, you know? The only problem I have with that is that I feel like the assumption that you can't criticize Captain America without criticizing America or the vice versa. Like, I know for a fact that there's comics out there where Captain America criticizes this country like he doesn't stand with it all the time in civil war, the first civil war. Yeah, exactly. Like that's literally a story about the government saying, Hey, we want to do this. And he's saying, no, that's wrong. You can't do that. Like that's this, this guy who wears the flag of the country he's in saying to that country, no, stop, this is wrong. And I don't feel like, yeah, I just don't feel like that's a, I don't know. I don't think like that's a good way to look at it. Well, I'm not arguing that, you know, that Captain America himself doesn't recognize when we're doing wrong things. I'm talking about people who use this example, who say you cannot, you can't do this to Captain America in this story because he's a symbol for America. For people with that argument, I would say that argument is shoddy. 
UK, you know what I mean? Like people who criticize Secret Empire and this run of Captain America with that logic. I would say that logic is shoddy. I'm not saying it's actually about the character. I think Steve Rogers has an excellent moral compass, and that is very true. That when we do the bad things, he does call us out. But to, for but I've seen this argument time and time again on the internet of people saying you can't do this to Captain America, not now. We are America, you know, Captain America is America, and you can't. And this is like uh, problematic for our identity. I would say that that is not a good argument against the series. I apologize. I misunderstood. That's a very good point. Oh, no, but I also, I don't, well, I think you guys are both making interesting points, but yeah, I wanted to say, isn't it American though? Isn't it very American of him or wouldn't conservatives agree? That's very American of him in civil war to say, fuck you government. I'm going to do what I want to do because isn't that what conservatives do? They're always like, Hey government, fuck you. Um, you're, you know, giving all my money away to all these people. You're ruining my life, blah, blah, blah. So, isn't it part of American values to be skeptical skeptical of your government to go against it, to not want to pay taxes, et cetera, et cetera? By the way, that's a really good point, though. I was just going to chime in on the point, and I just wanted to say that I think that Nadia is very right in a lot of ways because, I mean, as I, I really liked the um, Secret Empire arc, especially with Captain America, and I was like, except for the tone deafness. I mean, the thing is, it's interesting because, like, you think about the propaganda they had the way that it was supporting so wholeheartedly our position, but then you think about all the bad things you mentioned that we've done. Um, and I like that it calls it out in a lot of ways. Like it talks about kind of like the, I like any narrative that calls out the bad choices of war. So I think that that arc with Nick Spencer and Captain America does that very well. So I will say that like, it kind of pulls at the complicated nature of our war and how we thought we were perfect and we weren't. It pulls it that like kind of we took from their tactics type situation that I liked. So I would say I think that it in a lot of ways it's kind of I would say I I told you guys in the group I thought it's kind of tone deaf in the sense that like it pulls at something that's so pointed like the fact that I feel like Captain America was the first like Jewish superhero you know like we haven't really done that podcast yet but like we I was when we talked about it like how did the like punching the Nazi. But I think that in some ways there are a lot of complicated aspects of that. So I like I enjoy without having had that comic that was so clearly one sided. I necessarily recently I enjoy the fact that it's complicating that, and I think it's good. I mean, it, it reads complicated. It reads well. It reads like nature versus nurture, and I think those are all good things. So before we start discussing Nick Spencer's Captain America, Steve Rogers, which we have of course already done. Jordan is going to give us a short summary of the series up until now. Cool. Yeah. So to recap what happened way before even the first issue of this new Captain America, Steve Rogers run, Steve had been depowered and he was aging rapidly. So he just kind of was this old man, just kind of chilling. Uh, so after that, the sentient cosmic cube named Kobik restored him to his former glory, both in power and appearance, which is like super cool. Yay, Captain America. So beginning with this first issue of the Captain America Steve Rogers run, we're given glimpses into Steve's past, particularly of his inter in particularly of his interactions with the woman named Eliza Sinclair, plus his missions into the present day. So basically this all feels pretty normal. Typical Captain America fighting, punching the bad guys until we get to the very end of the first issue and Captain America is standing there probably saying Hail Hydra. 
from there, the series goes on to reveal that Red Skull is actually going behind this since he and Kobik became friends and he convinced her that being Hydra was the greatest thing in the world. Thus, when Kobik restored Steve Rogers to his Captain America glory, she also made him Hydra since to her that was the best thing in the whole world. Now, the world is faced with a Captain America who is Hydra, yet is also seemingly on the side of the good guys fighting against Hydra. So, beneath his good guy facade, Cap is working with the Red Skull to achieve world domination, while also plotting his own scheme to take out Red Skull and become the Hydra Supreme Leader. Cap succeeds in defeating Red Skull, and along with Baron Zemo, Cap's new best friend and Madame Hydra, Eliza Sinclair, see, we came back to her, they have taken control of Hydra. Their plan for world domination is simple. Use the Cosmic Cube to, quote-unquote, save the world. Yet, Dr. Selvig can't stand the thought of them getting rid of Kobik, since he became quite attached to her. So, he scatters the pieces to who knows where, forcing Steve and his entourage to change their plans. We end with a monologue from Steve to his Hydra forces, effectively stating that the whole world will fall to its needs before Hydra, since Hydra is going to change the world for the better. So for those people who read Captain America, Steve Rogers um, in the news media and were surprised by the reveal that Captain America was an undercover Hydra agent since childhood, what do you think? How did everyone feel about the big controversy? I first heard about it. I will admit that I was not a lifelong Captain America fan for I kind of thought that he was dull and outdated. Um, Nick Spencer has now convince me otherwise, but um, I had heard about this uh, through social media outrage and was immediately hooked, thought it was the best idea ever, and I read the first few issues, fell off a bit, and then came back just in time for Secret Empire. But uh, immediately, once I read about it, I was like, I, ha- I think this is going to be incredible. Finally, some spice. Now, the inverse of that, as someone who's been really enjoying seeing Captain America brought to life in all the recent films, seeing that very classic, you know, no, no buts about it, good guy, kind of like um, Chris Reeves Superman brought into the life in the movies. And then hearing about this, I was like, man, this is really weirdly timed, which I think is probably a bit a lot, uh, why there was a lot of reaction to this is because so many people were now familiar with the character through the movies. And even those that didn't read comics heard about this from, you know, online, they were like, that doesn't seem right. Yeah, so I've actually loved Captain America from like a really, really young age and have been reading his comics forever. And definitely, like Ward said, the new movies, they're great. I love them. I've seen them all way too many times. Um, so I also was like really not happy with this. I actually hadn't been keeping up with his run. Just poor, poor college student, couldn't really pay for it. Um, so I did find out through social media as well. And at first, I was hoping that it was just out of context. Maybe someone, I don't know, had changed the words or had made it into some new storyline that they hoped was going to come out. Uh, and then when that didn't happen, it kind of was a punch in the gut. My favorite character was now on the completely opposite side, which felt totally wrong. And I, yeah, I was definitely not very happy with it at all. At first when I, I heard it, cause I wasn't following it. I, for me, it was just an eye roll. It was like, okay, here we go. This is, this is a good way to catch people who love Captain America, but haven't read them in a long time to go, go buy comics to find out what, what's going on and what happened. But then when I kind of like, I, well, not kind of, when I read the run, I was like, wow, this is actually pretty good. So my, uh, my initial skepticism towards straight capitalism and commercial propaganda was like, okay, no, this is pretty good writing. 
Yeah, I was going to say the next question kind of after that is for those who like are like most who weren't following the run and then they saw it online before, like how did the comic read? And I'll say at least for me as a person doing this podcast, I obviously saw the huge news blast and then I read it and I was like, oh, this is like amazing. I, I really liked I mean, say I was I was totally initiated, but I think it's worth asking, like, how did that read? Once you get to issue two, like how did that come off the whole turnaround for Captain America? Once I got my past the initial skepticism and curiosity, it 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 read really well. The what I think what made it what caught me within the first couple of issues was the consideration, the detail that they went into his backstory as if exactly how it was. It was, you know, he's He's the same superhero with um, the same morals, same ideas, same goals, but something within him is is changed, and you start going, "Well, why?" Right? And I think what at least, at least in my perspective, it pulled to a very human component that we all like to think of ourselves as being inherently good, yet we still do things that are wrong on occasion. It's like you know, oh man, I probably shouldn't have done that, or you know, in, in this case, it's obviously hyperbolic because it's align yourself with the bad guy and the world destruction, but that's what caught me. So normally I'm very skeptical about kind of these uh, what if stories and the kind of like, oh, we just changed it and uh, he'll be back to normal kind of brainwashing stories. But I don't think that the Cosmic Cube is exactly a brainwashing story. Do you know what I mean? And it's funny because if it is a brainwashing story, it's definitely the brainwashing of Kobik, not really, you know, not exactly Steve Rogers because Kobik was under the belief, uh, thanks to Red Skull kind of putting it in her head over and over that Hydra is the best and that they're trying to do good. Um, and, you know, in the kind of uncomplicated mind of this child, this is why she aligns with Hydra, why she aligns Rogers with Hydra. I think that this the interesting thing about this story is that it's not that, you know, Steve is going to exactly, like, just snap out of it. It's It's like his whole life, his rewritten life has led him to these beliefs to this moment. So um, I, this still hasn't been resolved and I uh, can't even imagine how it will be. Um, I, you know, Nick Spencer has promised us all that this will not just be, okay, found the cube, rewrote it back, all's good, but uh, we'll see. So uh, if, if he keeps his promise, I think that, you know, it's going to be a really explosive ending. Yeah, I actually wanted to talk about the brainwashing aspect too. So yay, Nadia. Um, yeah, so I still grate against the idea of having hydrocap. Like that's just something inherently that I'm not sure I ever will get over. Um, but I definitely think that thinking of this not as a simple brainwashing definitely adds an element. Like Jose said, he does have more human elements and it's still something we feel like we can possibly relate to regardless of whether or not he was brainwashed, wasn't brainwashed. He is very different than the cap we're used to. Um, but I do think it does give him a depth that we wouldn't have had from a normal brainwashing that in theory he could have just snapped out of, or it could have just been rewritten in the next, uh, next issue. Um, yeah. So he definitely has more depth for sure. As we read these issues, there was a stark contrast between what we knew of Steve Rogers before the series and what we know of him now. So did that create a dissonance for anyone? I mean, we kind of touched upon it, but 
I will say based on what I'm used to of Steve Rogers, it was a little bit of a change. I know we slightly touched on it, but how did everyone else react to the change in Steve? I will always struggle with it. But the one thing that I did really like that I thought Spencer wrote really well was the fact that he's still bringing out characteristics of Steve Rogers that have always been there, regardless of him being not Hydra, Hydra, uh, like his strategic planning. And he's always been someone who who does plan, who is ready for several outcomes. Um, and so I think having that brought out definitely still brings up the idea that it is still Steve Rogers, even though he's Hydra now. I mean, I, as an old comic book reader, I didn't have a, a strong reaction. Again, for, for me, it was more of, all right, let's see where they're going with this. And I, I think Ward had mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm also, after years of reading comics, I'm kind of really tired of, of everything getting retconned and trying to keep everything, in my, everything straight in my head as to which is the storyline that we are, are on. And um, at this point, I, I, I rely more on Wikipedia to, to let me know what, what storyline we're on. I think Ward is correct. This one will probably at some point turn into some parallel universe or, you know, Earth 942, 67 or wherever, whatever planet we're on now. My reaction was more to the writing, which I, I thought was, it actually, if I, don't, if, I don't know if you guys remember, but it started, it started off as the same campy kind of Captain America. And then all of a sudden it just went down this hole and it's like, whoa, hey, where'd this come from? So that, those were my reactions. My reactions were more to the actual writing than the change in the character. I wanted to say, I don't think I would describe the story as campy because it starts off with like a Nazi death cult suicide bombing a train. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to be too semantic, but what I'm saying is, is that like this for me already felt like it was a different story starting out. So I don't know, you know, I, and I, again, like credit where credit is due. Nick Spencer is a fantastic writer. I've loved a lot of his previous books. Spectacular photos of Spider-Man is amazing. But yeah, I think I had more of a point when I started talking, and I seem to not have that. It's okay, because we're going to talk about how Squirrel Girl would have handled this differently than Captain America. <laughs> it just cuts to that very last panel of uh, Captain America number one, but it's Squirrel Girl. I don't <laughs> like acorns. I mean, I just wanted to say that, first of all, Squirrel Girl would have just talked them down, and uh, everything would be fine. Um, but in all seriousness, uh, I also, I've been reading comics for a while and it reminded me, honestly, this whole controversy reminded me a lot of Superior Spider-Man. Uh, there was a lot of vitriol being directed at Dan Slott and people stopped reading it and people were, I mean, no one was burning it. But talk more about that for the people who, who aren't aware. Uh, yes. So, uh, Superior Spider-Man, uh, created an arc where Dr. Octopus, Dr. Octavius. It was more than an arc, right? Cause it ended Amazing yeah, Spider-Man. I mean, yeah. It ended Amazing Spider-Man and it, uh, and it created a new series called Superior Spider-Man where, um, Doc Ock basically takes over uh, Peter Parker's mind and he, instead of, I don't know, destroying him, he just, per se, he kind of decides, I'm going to be a better Spider-Man than Peter Parker ever was. I'm going to go finish his degree. He gets into a relationship. He uh, kills a villain. He creates kind of this very interesting Orwellian spider robo network. And uh, at some point he makes, you know, the consciousness of Peter Parker disappear entirely in this quest to become the superior Spider-Man. Um, and people were absolutely devastated, furious, just sending hate mail. I mean, I don't think anyone was burning the books like what happened with Nick Spencer's uh, free comic book day issue. No, but they did tell, they did say, I remember Dan Slott posting this on Facebook. 
someone said, I wish Dan Slot. someone would shoot Dan Slot so he would die and someone else could write Spider-Man. I just mm-hmm. want to uh, And uh, by the way, he's still kind of getting those messages just so yeah, that he was, was a violent. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, so uh, the thing is that um, obviously initially I uh, started reading Speaker Spider-Man and I was like, I know this is going to end with Peter Parker coming back. I don't know why everyone's pretending like it's going to end any other way. So I know that it's going to end with some point similarly here with, with some point with uh, Captain America's redemption. I don't know why we're pretending that it's not. So I think that I just, you know, if you put it in that perspective, it's fine to just kind of enjoy the ride. And by the way, a lot of people who sent all that hate to Dan Slott and who boycotted his run read it retrospectively. And now it's one of their favorite Spider-Man stories ever. That's the thing that about these kinds of stories is that if you take a break from the traditional hero, you can kind of be reminded about what you loved about them in the first place and what made them them in the first place. So... I would say that, yeah, so kind of like when we're talking about Steve Rogers, he is still Steve Rogers. Uh, we've spoke about it at length about how he's trying to do the right thing, but he's brainwashing thing, Hydra's the right thing. But, you know, we know it's going to come back. We're comic readers, guys. Like, chill. And this is the only storyline, I think, in the history of comics that I'm aware of that the publisher has come out and said what the ending is going to be to quell people's fears, mm-hmm. which I think is is kind of interesting. As someone who absolutely loves the Superior Spider-Man series, I think an important distinction to make there is that that series, like people, like first off, the people's reactions to both those stories have been stupid. Like, I don't like this current Captain America run, but please stop calling Nick Spencer a Nazi. That's not okay. Stop threatening. That's just not cool. Don't. It's just a book, guys. It's fiction. Calm down. But I think an important distinction is that this is messing with Steve Rogers. Superior Spider-Man was messing with Spider-Man. Peter Parker was, well, I don't want to say fine, he died, but that's not the point. The point is, Peter Parker was still the same character, but now it was Doc Ock in the suit, and the story is about him. And, you know, it was, and it's, I think it's a sharp contrast because villains becoming heroes can be a very interesting kind of story. It happens all the time, but the opposite, heroes becoming bad guys, that usually doesn't work out. I mean, there was a lot of vitriol and hate when Hal Jordan became Parallax like a long, long time ago. Just these kinds of stories, I think, are more, I don't want to say triggering because that's a really bad way to say it, but like the, people are more touchy about them because they're more invested in these people as good guys and them being bad throws them so out of the loop. But seeing bad guys become good feel like they're growing, not like they're regressing or shifting completely out of character. Where are all the X-Men fans? Because in X-Men, they put my char- my favorite characters through the fucking ringer and no one complains. Cyclops is dead. I didn't even hear one person complain. He fucking died. But here's, but like, the thing is, I feel like with X-Men characters, people like don't accept them to be in the gray area, but like, for example, Cap- I feel like Captain America, it's like Cap has always been Cap, and I feel like people like counted on that in air quotes for those who can't see, whereas I think that's why it was so jarring. Like, for example, if someone was like, I think a good counterexample would be Iron Man's bad. So I'd be like, well, Iron Man bad. They're like, well, he's always like been a little self-interested. So like, how can one expect that? Whereas like Cap was always like, Cap was about the greater good. And so for him to choose a, Naughty has a great plan, I'm sure. But I would say for him to choose a different greater good, I think that's what jarred people. I think that's why people were like, it's tone deaf. Like, I mean, there's a fair reason there. I mean, you think about like, we never did this podcast yet, but like the whole Jew punching the Nazi, they're like, it's a good point. Like 
this is a very clear point for this character propaganda point, and you're just like taking it and complicating it. I like it because I like complicated things, but like it's fair to say that's messed up because I mean it symbolized something specific, and now you're like, oh, let's play around with it. I feel like with Spider Man, it's like good and evil with Cap. It was like American Dream and Nazism. But I think that's exactly what it is playing with it because. If you look at it from a business perspective, there's Disney and Marvel, and they're not going to let Captain America become bad guy forever. But yet, you know, again, of course, bringing it back to my favorite, my home, my X-Men, um, Sabretooth, a known rapist, is on the X-Men now. No one said anything. Wolverine died. No one said anything. Cyclops literally died of chicken pox. No one said anything. And, you know, no one gets mad at anything. I mean, we're just, we, we just roll yeah, with the punches. Yeah. Because we're superior, superior X-Men fans. Just kidding. <laughs> I'm so distracted now by that beautiful rant. But um, one of the things I want to say is that I don't think that I, I, I agree with Ward actually about the difference. Not actually like I never agree with Ward. Ward makes excellent points and I love him very much. But uh, I do agree with Ward that it is it is different. It's kind of a villain becoming hero story. But, you know, we have to let our characters change and grow. We have to let them explore different aspects of themselves or else comics are going to get tired. You know, a Marvel is is uh, trying, you know, the, just honestly, Marvel trying something so different like this is amazing. And, I do, and you know, it should be encouraged because... We need these kind of stories to kind of keep our characters going to, you know, even or even if not to keep their characters going. I mean, they got a new reader out of me for Captain America. I am a long term Marvel reader, but I am a new Captain America fan. And I'm sure that there are plenty of other people who feel that way. So I'm saying that I think that and I think this is development. It kind of shows us a different side to Steve Rogers. And I, I think that kind of stories like this, they might not be you know, fun for people who love the old, the old, um, kind of the old stories, but they, they need to be told because those people can't just be the only ones that the comics are meant for. It can't just be fans of Captain America keep getting the Captain America stories that they love. I mean, that's why people are even asking for diversity in comics. It can't be the same guys doing the same thing. So, I mean, after 70 years, I mean, how many times can they tell the same story? Obviously, they, they have to play with it some, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that, you know, Captain America fans are boring and they don't want to see anything else. I'm I just am. saying. No. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm saying that, you know, I'm saying that I understand this feels very jarring, but I'm sure that in retrospect, it will not. Just like those uh, very deep fans of Spider-Man probably definitely fear differently now. What I was going to say is you know, the difference between the Captain America and the Captain America reader and the X-Men and the X-Men reader is that the X-Men were out outsiders. We've talked about this quite a bit. So playing, you know, they weren't accepted in as characters in the comic books and the people who identified with these outcasts. And there's a lot more latitude in characters flip-flopping back and forth when the assumption is that characters are outside of that outside of that particular pantheon which captain america for a lot of people represents this very central moralistic i don't know like pinnacle of what people think america because i mean we keep on going back to this this whole idea of what captain america is, is and i don't again I'm, I'm not even really sure that captain america represents that for 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 America. 
But anyway, um, the Captain America reader does not look at, and I don't think I don't, I don't look at Captain America as being an outsider. He is very much part of the inner pantheon. He, he's got a great haircut as soon as he pulls that cowl off. There, that is the difference, is that these icons have been created, and the minute you start, the X-Men characters are allowed to have more latitude in how you play around with them. Captain America has never been that character, and therefore the, the people that gravitate towards him are, are looking for that like solidity. Uh, first, throwing my hat into the theory ring as to why people aren't freaking about it over the X-Men thing. I honestly think it's just an exposure thing. People have seen like Spider-Man and Captain America in the movies and they love them. But if you're only exposure to the X-Men in the movies, you're not going to give a fuck about what happens to Cyclops in the comics. Like if that was my only knowledge, like I don't care about Cyclops from watching those movies. I don't care about most of the X-Men from watching those movies. Me neither. Yeah. So like, I think that's mostly part of it. Cause again, it's like, cause this Captain America character is so popular, like the classic version in the mainstream that hearing about something like that happened in the source material that's so different, everyone's going to react to that even if they don't read comics. So that just makes sense. I get that. It's like, you're right. Characters need to grow and change. But at the same time, these are characters that have to keep being around, or at least the companies want them to keep being around. At some point, I, I don't think it'd be necessarily bad if they retired them and other people took over the mantles permanently, but whatever. But the idea that you have to go so far in one direction to make a character change, I don't think is correct storytelling. Like, like first off, because like we talked before, we know this is not going to be permanent for Captain America. This story is not going to, you know, this story might, like people are going to remember it and probably talk about it, but it's not going to last for Cap's character in the long run. So it, I don't think it works in that sense. And I don't think making someone the bad guy in this way uh, makes his character more like unique. Like Nadia, you were saying like you became a fan of this character from the series, but does that mean when it's the series is over and it's no longer about this kind of Captain America, are you going to want to keep reading about him when he goes back to quote unquote normal? Again, I have no idea that that was, I don't want to get into like your head or anything, but like, it's like saying you should always have series that are unafraid to explore issues. But you know, at the same time, it's like I said earlier, I don't want to read a story about Spider-Man deciding, you know what I'm uh, responsibility. Who cares? I'm going to become a mercenary now, you know, like, you can have them struggle with issues, but at the same time, you don't want to go out of character. And that's always a, a subjective thing. Don't you feel, though, Ward, that they're always going to return to the status quo? I mean, isn't that what a Marvel and DC comic are really about in that there's really no third act, right? Or, or the, the climax of the third act happens and then everything goes back. I mean, you're a Superman fan. My question is, how much has Superman changed in the last 30 years? Yes, the storytelling has changed, but isn't he still the core of who he is, even with the colored different color kryptonites and stuff. Well, yeah. And that's a good point because I think the issue here is, especially for characters like Captain America, the thing that should be not changing isn't the characters themselves. Cause the characters are interesting when they're reacting to things. There are some exceptions. Like I'd say, if you want a more prevalent mainstream example, Iron Man's evolution throughout the Marvel cinematic universe is a good example of watching a character change, but people love Captain America. Those movies are hits and the characters never, he never like, he doesn't go through an arc in any of his movies except for maybe the last one, kind of. Like, he doesn't change or evolve at all, and he's, like, the biggest star of that franchise right now. So the same thing applies to Superman. Like, right now, he's a refugee... Well, actually, I guess they sort of changed, but at the time, like, he was a refugee from his own universe. He had a new family. A lot was going on in his world, but at his very core, what made me read Superman books again was that they were writing Superman like Superman again. He was back to normal and that's a whole process of how they got there. But like, basically it felt like I'm reading him again. And with these books, I don't feel like I'm reading Captain America. 
I do want to respond to your question because I think it's a very good question. Um, would I like Captain America if I continued? I think the thing is, is that I call into question whether Captain America's character has actually changed in this book. So I understand, you know, yeah, he's changed. He's in Hydra. But I'm saying the kind of the core of him, that desire to improve the world, would I argue that that has changed? I would argue no, it hasn't changed. I would argue, in fact, that his actions are his lens of what will improve the world. The circumstances change. Yeah, yeah, the circumstances changed. And I think that um, seeing him, you know, kind of in this new direction makes me better appreciate, you know, what I had taken for granted. I did love the Captain America movies, and I would pay an extraordinary amount of money to see Chris Evans actually play Hydra Cap. But <laughs> just for kind of how interesting that would be because you're right i can't imagine chris evans doing a bad thing at all but um you know in the movies all right movies that's fun but in the comics i was like you know i haven't read captain america comics before and why would i get into that whole lore and it's just kind of going to be like the movie anyway so whatever but now that i've seen this and now that i've kind of explored a little bit more of his inner workings in a different lens I'm able to better appreciate the things that I kind of took granted with the character. So I think that um, considering if the writing is good, even if he's kind of Chris Evans-esque, or I guess Chris Evans is Captain America-esque, but um, the point is is that I think I could like original Captain America. And I agree with Jose when he said that, um, you know, Captain America, there's a lot of people who didn't feel represented by Captain America. I was one of those people. That's why I wasn't really into him. I was like... You know, one, all right, Captain America, you know, he's a guy, you know, uh, I'm an immigrant, you know, he's American as America could be. So, well, you know, but, uh, but I, this run has made me question all that, question my own biases against the character, question kind of the character's relationship to the American identity. And uh, I think that that's what good writing should do. That's a really great point. You also kind of took us to where I want to go in terms of, the storytelling in this. And I kind of want to go around with everybody and hear about what you all thought about the storytelling. And specifically, I want to talk about Nick Spencer's use of flashback, which I thought was really excellent for the comics medium. But I just like to hear from everybody, you know, Ward, let's start with you because you had a lot to say about the storytelling. I think you um, can add to that. But after that, let's go around to everybody. Well, the interesting thing is I really like the storytelling because, as I said, I've really enjoyed Nick Spencer's work in the past. Uh, his run on Avengers Volume 5 was mind-blowing. Uh, Superior Foes of Spider-Man, both the Ant-Man stories he did, phenomenal. But I really like the story when Captain America's not in it. <laughs> like, And I, I, that sounds like a really backhanded comment, but like, I was surprised how much I enjoyed the parts in like the earlier acts where he's like writing about Red Skull and you know he's doing all this stuff. He's like, recruit he's like this come this like sort of pseudo charismatic charismatic as much as a guy with a big red skull face can be you know like recruiting these people and it was like very it felt very like relevant you know it's like like the the kind of hydra he was building was very similar to what we were seeing right now in the world with like the rise of a or like the at least increased prevalence and visibility of a certain uh white uh supremacist groups and I'm like thinking to myself, if this story was just Captain America dealing with this instead of like the goofy, like sort of like, like, you know, giant robot tentacle monster Hydra, which granted that's still cool. I'd still want to see him fight that, but just, you know, not all the, it's like you said, not all the time, this would have been the perfect time for this story. And so then, you know, for me, when it, when it came that jarring, like shift, it's like, Oh, this is what we're really doing. I'm like, you, for me had a chance to tell a great Captain America story. And I can't see that now, but to answer your question about flashbacks, 
I think they're very important for explaining to the viewer how he got here. And I feel like they are the do the best job they can of convincing us. And also, I want to say the art in those scenes is like phenomenal. Just like the use of colors is amazing. But I don't know. They they didn't. Uh, aside from just their you know perfectly legitimate functionality, they didn't do too much for me. And I'm going to echo a lot of what you said. I would say I adored the flashbacks. I liked the way they worked in the story. I mean, even outside of like whether or not I necessarily liked the story, I was surprised, which is why I messaged the group when we were working on this podcast and getting ready. I was like, I love this because I thought this, the storytelling, the method, the way it was being told was so great. So I was already sold on it in that sense. Um, I think it does a great job of explaining why people feel this way. I liked the first issue for that reason. I liked the way it broke down kind of the long um, amount of events that occurred that led this man to kind of become the the new Unabomber. And I think it was great that they echoed that with the way that they told Steve's story. So as a book to read in general, I really loved it. And then I guess the only other thing I would say about it outside of how entertaining it was and how explanatory it was, I will say... I kind of liked the twists and turns it took, especially with Eliza. But I will say that it kind of got it kind of got to the point with the flashbacks where it was doing a couple too many turns that I kind of was like, oh, now Eliza's bad. Oh wait, no, Eliza's good now. But she's good bad because she's good because she's taking care of seat, but bad because she's bad. So I will say it took a few too many like kind of curveballs, in my opinion. I think it kind of because then it put you on your toes too much because you were like, oh, when is blank gonna be blank again like when is Zemo gonna be good but bad again when is Bucky gonna be good but bad it kind of put you on too many toes so I will say that was kind of a problem but I can't say that the storytelling is bad because I think it was so entertaining in the sense that you were like oh here comes the point where he interacts with Red Skull on a famous interaction that's slightly different so I think that in terms of entertainment and storytelling there was very few bad moments it was always leaving you a bit on your toes which I liked yeah, I would agree. I definitely like the flashbacks also. Um, I think that I would have preferred to read a bit more of flashback than present Steve Rogers Hydra cap. Uh, I found it easier to relate to him. I liked reading about little Steve better than I liked reading about grown up angry Hydra Steve. Yeah, I guess my one like issue with I, th- I think it was one of the Steve Rogers issues. I hope it was not a secret empire issue, but the issue where it's all about Baron Zemo, like collecting all the villains and then like dealing with Bucky and all of that. I just, that felt really over the top to me, not believable, just not, I did not like that. That was the one part of the story that I just personally did not like, didn't, find it interesting found it weird and over the top and was just like okay so Zemo killed Bucky all right and he did it in the same way that Bucky killed his dad but it was an accident but it wasn't so yeah that was the one part that I didn't like myself I would say I completely agree with you about the flashbacks in fact for me they were reminiscent of like memoir comics which I'm a really huge fan of and like Jordan I would have I would have read a comic that was all flashbacks that completely took place then. And also just to echo what Ward said, I loved the use of color and the art and, and really in everything I read, I just thought it was really top notch, but I absolutely found it so fascinating to learn about him as a kid. And I think a lot of how you feel Nadia about him having the same core 
value system, yet the circumstances of his reality having changed. I found that to be really fascinating. I could see, Jamie, why you kind of felt that way, because I think that my personal inkling towards memoir comics and towards the use of flashback and how successful I thought the flashbacks were in terms of the comics medium as a whole very much influenced me. But at the same time, I don't know. At the same time, I, you know, I was a fan regardless. Yeah, I agree. I'm a big fan of memoir comics and I honestly thought the flashbacks were absolutely phenomenal and I would have loved more flashback. But um, so Nick Spencer Uh, As I said before, I've read Morning Glories, and I'm familiar with kind of his keeping you on your toes to the point of exhaustion the whole time. And I have to say, I was a little bit uh, happy to see him bring that to the Marvel Universe and really keep people, you know, stressed. Um, so, so, uh, for me, I've always been a fan of Nick Spencer's storytelling. He always has very tight narratives. He, uh, doesn't leave Chekhov's gun on the table. It always shows up again. And I, I really appreciate that. And he's, you know, definitely the king of curveballs. So, uh, I really love the storytelling and I, I, I did actually kind of agree with Jose when I, when he said it was a little bit, you know, the, the first issue was a little bit campy. It's like, everybody's just kind of jumping in. And uh, it felt really fun. And then all of a sudden it wasn't fun at all. And, you know, I think that that, that tone shift, he actually pulled off. So um, I really did like the, uh, the storytelling. But I will agree, actually, with Jamie that sometimes it is very over the top. And if you like that kind of thing, it works for you. And if you don't, you don't. I love when a creator comes from a more independent background or image and they do what they do best in Marvel. Uh, for example, Rick Remender, when he did Uncanny Avengers or Uncanny X-Force. I mean, no one does a flash forward better than Rick Remender. I call them Rick Remender flash forwards, quite frankly. And, you know, I think this was an excellent example of Nick Spencer doing that. Absolutely. I mean, I, I mean, I even talked about that with my interview with him where I mentioned that, you know, I'm seeing a lot of connective, you know, spiritual connection with Morning Glories. And he did, did say that he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing this to the Marvel readers on purpose. So, That's awesome. Yeah. All right. So let's, is her name Elisa or Eliza Sinclair? No one knows because no one said her name out loud yet because she's no, she's not yet a film character. I think Eliza. Eliza? Okay, cool. What did you guys think about her? She was created just for the series, as Nadia told me before. I, frankly, kind of adored her. I was a big fan. I kind of liked the way she kept people on her toes. I liked her introduction scene. I thought that, I mean, I think the first um, comic in that series was amazing. I loved the way they kind of built up the whole you know, you do these, I kind of saved a few screenshots or so, but I mean, they basically built up this whole, you do the things you have to do because you're a hero. And then they kind of like turned it at the end with the hail Hydra in a very dramatic way. But I liked that. I thought that she was great. I mean, I think that per usual as time went on, it got more complicated, which made her character more complicated in a ways that made it kind of like not quite as fun. But I think that the idea of the character is extremely fun. And I liked, and I really liked the whole like how you were raised describes how you feel. So for me, the way she acted and like the kind of like bringing back the mom thing later on, like I think it was all manipulative and interesting in like a very fun way. 
So I was a huge fan. I don't know. She, I don't dislike her at all, but she hasn't really like latched onto me in any particular way. Cause I feel like her, like, I feel like nine times out of 10, she's like just talking about Steve and I don't feel like we're learning a lot about her. And I guess that's the point. She's supposed to be kind of mysterious. It's like, Oh, look at all just magic stuff she can do. Where'd that come from? We don't know. But like, yeah, she hasn't, I haven't quite gotten the, that interested in her. Um, but I guess we'll see as time, time kind of goes on. I will say as someone who kind of likes things in comic books, like spread out and, you know, the more, at least for me, the better, there was a, a character who was going by the names, both the names Hydra or Madam Hydra and Viper. And now that this person's Madam Hydra, she can go back to being Viper. And I'm, I'm all for that. I like Eliza. I agree with Jamie. She's awesome. I thought her introduction was pretty great. It was structured really well and she was made to be like scary but not too scary scary enough that she probably killed steve's mom but then also not as scary so steve was like okay fine it's okay to go with you but yeah at the end seeing her with madam hydra-esque weirdness i don't know i thought that part was weird i'm not sure that i like her the farther i get into the series but i definitely liked her introduction i thought she was great at the beginning i think she's a pretty badass villain i have to say um, how do you guys think she compares to other Marvel villains? Uh, you know, the big events. What are the last big events? So we have Doom. I mean, Magneto going way back. I mean, let's be honest. He's not really a villain. Um, Doom. <laughs> That's the only ones I could think of. Who else is a big villain? Oh, the Skrulls. I'm trying to think of the big events. Thanos. I was going to say, I think that in terms of the other big villains, I liked her because she started kind of i mean i guess it's complicated but she did start small scale i like like small scale starting villains kind of like i'm infiltrating you from your mind as opposed to um i mean there's a there's a good way to do like those big crazy villains that have like a force upon the world you know there's a good way to do that but i think that that is really gem well i mean it's hard you have to like actually terrify the audience and so that's why I think it's better to go with like smaller time villains. Like I think that's why Loki, for example, not related to comics, but Loki was a good villain for the first Avengers. Like he had that emotional connection to some of the characters, which made it more personal. That's why I like her, Eliza, in this situation. Cause like she kind of starts small. It feels like it starts with the smallest inclination. Like I'm just inviting your mother to a Hydra meeting. And that is what creates the end of the world. And I like those little indoctrination type villains that psychologically manipulate. I just want to say that there was a little bit of a Hellfire Club vibe going on for me. Yes, and that's also why I like this. Me too. There was a little Emma there. <laughs> a little bit. I think what makes her different than not just a lot of the big event villains, but just different in general, is that she's almost a maternal villain. And I'm not trying to make a specific point about like uh, how characters like that are portrayed in general but like you know usually uh like a maternal like character is usually more of a good guy and this is the first time we're seeing it at least the first time i can think of immediately where it's like more of an immediate bad emma frost with the hellions oh what oh sorry i was just taken over by truth but emma frost is good to guy now that doesn't count but now she's good but she wasn't you know for like 30 years i wasn't i'm not that old (laughs) emma's mad complicated and so but that's also a great point going back to the x-men thing with like the X-Men are complicated, whereas like Cap's not complicated in that sense. Like you're never like, oh, is Cap on the right side? Like, for example, Emma Frost, you're like, is she on the right side? Like, even when she's on the good side, you're like, but what's the game? Like, what's the play? And like usually it's like for the good. 
and you decide that and then it changes. But like, I feel like that's why also X-Men mutants. I just feel like this, this Eliza woman, Elisa, whatever, if she was killed tomorrow, people would have an uproar. But if Emma Frost was killed tomorrow, everyone would be like, meh, they'll, you know. <laughs> Everyone's like cool with that. <laughs> yeah, she has kids. One of those cuckoos will become the next Frost. Oh, whatever. I'd be, the thing is, you and I'd be sad. I would be I, <laughs> sad. I would be hanging from my fucking balcony, like off a fucking exactly. rope. I wouldn't be sad. I mean, look like, at they you already and killed. I they and killed. Kay would be like holding like it'd be like the witch, like the the witches or whatever, and we'd like have like a like oh the a, craft. A, 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 yeah, the craft. We'd have like a memorial with like all black and like candles. We'd be like resurrecting her. No, absolutely. They already killed three of my four favorite characters. So, I mean, I got to <laughs> at least leave Emma alive. Who were those characters? They killed Cyclops. And, and okay, first of all, young Cyclops is not the same as old Cyclops. Doesn't count. Yeah, it's Doesn't like count. it's like would you like to hang out with me when I was 13? That's very different than who I am now. Okay? So, let's not go there. Um, so number 1, they killed Cyclops. They killed Jean Grey. I always thought they would bring her back, but then they are pretending that bringing back a teenage version is the same thing. It doesn't count. It doesn't count. I don't even like her. And then Wolverine, I guess, because he was in that love quadrangle. Oh, don't Anyways, I hope you guys are enjoying our Captain America podcast. Sorry, anyway, back to Captain America. <laughs> Captain America throws back- his mighty she. Yeah. Back to oh, Elisa slash Eliza. I'm just going to call her both. I'm just going to call her both all the time. Um, yeah. So anyway, anybody, anyone else want to add about how this woman compares to other, uh, how this woman, how this villain compares to other Marvel villains? Um, I agree with what Jamie was saying about how her being kind of this subtle villain and also that wonderful moment when before we're kind of introduced to her as Hydra and before we're introduced to Steve as Hydra when he talks about her as a hero again that kind of goes back to that whole conversation about perspective and about lens you know in uh Steve's hindsight in kind of the way what he was indoctrinated in she was his you know point for her heroism her introduction was the first moment that he saw what he believes was heroism despite her t- ulterior motives so i think that more so than her alone as a character and and i do agree with ward that she's a very maternal character she's very proud of what steve has become and she's very nurturing to him and she always was and she was always interested in him so i think that it's interesting that you know to steve she is something of a surrogate mother and she is an inspiration to him but that since he is incapable of seeing outside of his hydra glasses um he can't see her for what she is and i think that that speaks a lot to how everybody might know or love a bad person and not be able to see how they're bad or how uh you know they might their love might even make them complicit in supporting badness you know yeah i totally agree with nadia i think she hit all the points that i wanted to say but in relation to the other villains specifically ones like dr doom and thanos and even the red skull i feel like they come on the scene like yeah we're here to screw everything up and we're here to fight right now and with eliza i don't feel like she was immediately like that she had a long game that she was planning to play and like this is how everything was tying into it and i really like that part like once again like i said i don't know if i still like her now but i definitely liked in the beginning she was like this is my plan this is what i'm going to do i'm going to like wait for the time for all of this to come to fruition versus like storming into things being like hey i'm a bad guy and here to screw everything up 
when I actually didn't think about what other characters she was like, but um, Jamie and Jordan kind of made me think about, she actually struck me as a little bit like sinister in the sense that um, what Jordan just said, very willing to allow things to play out over long time horizons, uh, subtle manipulations. It's it, to me, she, she strikes me as a character that will be a lot like sinister in that regard where I can imagine her still coming back 15 years from now and saying, Hey, remember that one time where uh, we had this one conversation about that other thing. And then it's just a whole nother plot line unfolding in just those subtle ways. And I do like um, one of my favorite scenes was that women's hydro meeting where they all talk about kind of like, oh, we're doing charity. We've raised this much for the community. We're building a new playground. And then it ends with everybody screaming hail Hydra. So I think that that in itself is so clever because it shows that, you know, um, evil or badness doesn't always represent itself so obviously and how you know they can do you know like an evil organization can do some good things but if their intentions are evil does that make those good things okay so i think and i mean i know that that kind of doesn't end up being like hydra's (laughs) mo at the end but just the fact that that's their that was their recruitment way that they were like we're gonna improve the neighborhood we're gonna do charity and that's how they got people in i think that that um is an incredibly clever commentary about how um kind of evil things are not so easy to recognize from from where you're standing again that goes into kind of that beautiful thing in for issue one where they talk about how that character winds up with that supremacist group and then a you know at the end winds up becoming a suicide bomber for hydra is uh you know in his perspective for what he was hearing what he was promised how he felt let down you know he was given a sense of community he was given he was made to feel like this was a good thing and uh i think that that kind of i guess moral gray ground is gray ground perfect <laughs> that more moral gray area just kind of shows how sometimes people can do bad things or be led into bad things by organizations that they might think are good or by community that they think that they have to have loyalty to and that it's not so much that they were evil to begin with it's just kind of where they wound up you know yeah, I'm so excited to talk about that scene later because I thought that was so eerily real. Mm. Not that I have ever been recruited by a terrorist organization, but you know, from all the the reading that I've done and from all the people who are more educated in that stuff than I am, um, that's a lot of what I'm kind of hearing about it. Do you think? Do you think it actually rings with people though, Justin? And 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 same for for not yet. Like, does it make sense? So you're saying. These, it's a, it's a meeting and it's supposed to be a community organization to do some good, yet it's still at the core is a terrorist organization. Do you think that actually rings, the dissonance rings in some people's ears? What do you mean by dissonance? And what do you mean by some people? No, I'm kidding. Well, no, I, I also both. So there's a dissonance, right? And I remember having a conversation with this guy a, a while back and he was talking about how the KKK did a lot of good within their communities because they did a lot of community policing and then they did charitable work for their particular communities. So he, he had a, a very different idea of what the KKK is obviously because he's not on the business end of what, of what they do. 
So that's what I mean. Imagine it's easy to say that because, you know, Hydra is not a real organization out there for, for global domination. You know, there's not a day in day out impact. However, do you think that there are some folks that will read that and go, I can see Hydra actually being not that bad. And, and who, like, who are some of these people that you think it wouldn't ring on? So, um, I actually also was thinking about that whole KKK thing when I, but I wanted to make sure I understood what, but what you meant by dissonance before I kind of jumped into those waters. But, um, I felt that that scene and again, the scene, the recruitment scene, uh, was so realistic. And I have personally seen people who, you know, supported one party before the election, uh, turn the other way from conversations like this about people who, you know, I mean, when, uh, you know, I don't know how much longer we can do this podcast without talking about the real world implications of this, this series. But when we talked, One more question. <laughs> when we talked about, you know, the, uh, when we talk about people who uh, may support certain groups and why they get there, you know, it's kind of unrealistic to say that, oh, they were just bad to begin with. They might be people who personally feel like they were left out, you know, in the rain, even though they don't recognize kind of their own place in the society, their own privileges, kind of the people who maybe have a limited lens. They kind of only see their own suffering and don't see the big picture. So I think that it's incredibly realistic to see people who you know, that's incredibly realistic, obviously, maybe not comic readers, because comic readers uh, know Hydra is an evil organization. But I'm saying that if you were in an organization that was doing good things and bad things, you would very likely try to justify those bad things, because those good things served you. They served you, they served your community, and everybody there is like you. Do you know what I'm trying to say? So, you know, um, so I think that honestly, those scenes were incredibly realistic and the rhetoric that the red skull was spouting was something that I have seen and I have seen turn minds. I have, I have genuinely seen this in my personal life. That rhetoric is very realistic and it is, and it does genuinely make people uh, feel that particular way. Um, and uh, what I liked about that is it's a slippery slope between kind of joining in and then ending up being completely taken over and eventually killed by, by that. So um, I would say that, yes, it was in incredibly realistic, maybe not for comic readers because we uh, get to read the rest of the story where we see Hydra doing terrible stuff. But for people, unless, you know, for some reason they just read that speech and then they were like, you know, that guy in a red skull looks really sinister, but, you know, maybe he's not the bad guy. So, I mean, for some reason, if they just read those panels. Isn't that the Fantastic Four guy, the thing? <coughs> oh, man. Looks a lot more red. Yeah. So, so maybe, um, maybe that would turn some minds, but, you know. Yeah, I thought of those three scenes as kind of going together in my head. The red skull scene where he um, gives that very trump-like speech if i do say so myself yeah i didn't want to say the word but uh, i'm saying it and then um i also thought about the scene with the women in hydra going hail hydra at the end after they do things for the community and of course i thought about the scene where they recruited that suicide bomber and the first thing i thought of was al-qaeda and the second thing i thought of were people who voted for trump in spite of who trump is because the reality is that it's really easy for people in power to 
I guess, gloss over the fact that people are hurting out there and people are suffering out there. And when someone is going to come up and say, hey, I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you an opportunity. I'm going to solve your problems. I'm going to make it so your parents aren't suffering, so you're not suffering, so the people you know aren't suffering, and so the people who are taking everything from you can suffer. I think that that resonates with anyone who's who's in pain. And I think that is what made those scenes so realistic to Listen, me. poverty is a hell of a thing. And I think that you know, uh, kind of discussions, these discussions of privilege and other academic ideas don't mean a lot to people who are poor. So they're not going to, you know, look at what Trump says about people who aren't them. They're going to look at what Trump is saying he will do for them. Exactly. And, and what does someone really give a shit about? I mean, I don't know if I was in, well, I, I, I'm not going to use the Trump example, but if I was recruited to another organization and didn't have the privilege of living in America, let's say, and you know my family is going without water, without food, I, I don't much care. I don't know if I would much care about how moral they were up until a certain point as long as my family is no longer suffering. But I guess the, where, where the question fell or the, that answer falls off the rails is that in, in the case of Trump in the United States is the, a lot of those people are not abjectly poor. They believe that they're not as well off as they should be. And that's a narrative that's being given to them, but they're not abjectly poor. I, I feel like I definitely agree that the panels work because those people were not, it's not like those people in those panels, you know, they had teeth, um, all of them, you know, it's not like some, you know, different abject poor parts of the world where, you know, they're very skinny and they have huge bellies and are missing teeth and their hair's falling out. Like, those are not the people on those panels. That part I, I felt was real, real realistic. But the dissonance, I guess what I'm, what I'm saying is the average person who pick up, picks up that comic book and starts reading it and goes, wow, these people are being brainwashed or these people are being manipulated. But are, do you think that there's someone that will open up that comic book, read the entire series and go, eh, I don't know, but hell, Hydra wasn't really that bad. I mean, they did do good things. And I know that the, the demographic of the person who reads comic books tends to skew a bit left or maybe a lot left, but there are people who are outraged over the diversity in comics. There are people who are outraged over some of the comics having an anti-capitalist bent to them. So that means that there are enough people out there with conservative values who are picking up these comics and going, yeah, but I don't see what the issue is. And I guess what I'm wondering is how many of those people do you think are out there and if that dissonance, when they read it, if that dissonance actually hits them. I think that there's a lot of those people out there. And I think in the case of them, yes, of course, I, I'm not sure that they're, well, I mean, I'm in no position to say if they're in poverty or not. But I do think that they feel like their institutions are being lost. And, and that part of the Red Skull's argument is true. And if you look at some speeches that Ronald Reagan gave, I, I mean, one where he's talking about how um you know gays are ruining marriage and you know nothing is sacred anymore and i mean you know in his reagan way and stuff like that um yeah, a lot of people who voted for him too were obviously not poor but i think that they were afraid and he spoke to that and i think that's what red skull spoke to too but i think there's i i think definitely for the most part i mean look i don't know the data on this i obviously at comics we were a very left-leaning organization uh to the point where i think i'm going to be ousted any day soon but i think that comics do have a good cross-section of people around and are people in america 
And like you said, there's a ton of people who get pissed off at how Marvel is becoming more diverse. And I think that those people do see uh, a positive in that. And, and I think that that Red Skull speech probably did resonate with a few of them. And I think that's what made it so eerie to me personally. Yes, I would say that that's true. And I and I obvi- and of course I agree with your point that they don't live in kind of the abject poverty of maybe people in other countries, but um I and I do agree with kind of what you were saying that they probably think they shouldn't be quite so poor or, you know, be have more money. But I I do think that America is changing faster and faster. And um, it was one way for a long time. And now we are, as a culture, thanks to the internet, thanks to popular culture, we are very quickly kind of in trying to become more mindful, more inclusive. And for people who might not understand that, they might be uh, genuinely terrified by this. They might feel like, oh, what about us? It was so. It was an hour of court for so long. What's happening? Why not anymore? So I do think that, um, you know, Secret Empire, the thing about it is that it's a very, I would argue, a very left-leaning but nonetheless even-handed kind of comic and an even-handed allegory. I think I, you know, personally, I would find it difficult to imagine because we spend so much time with the other characters. We don't spend that much time with Steve. You know what I mean? We spend more time with the revolutionaries, with people kind of reacting. I think there's enough in there to say this is bad. But for those who are already kind of in that mindset, maybe maybe they would have, you know, kind of be like, well, Red Skull has a point, you know? But uh, I do think that it was kind of clever for him to end on the suicide bombing because the same people who would argue that, oh, Red Skull has a point, see suicide bombing as a particularly brown activity. So kind of making that equation, I think, is, is itself kind of a shocking thing for somebody who would be like, yeah, you know, Red Skull's right. Oh, wait, suicide bombers, we don't do that. But, you know, we have. Well, not we, I'm Arabic, but... I mean, okay, we have, and so did other people. Uh, So following that, (laughs) I was just going to say, knowing what I know about the internet, and as someone who's from a very uh, right-leaning state, but it's not particularly right-leaning themselves, knowing what I know about nerd culture and the internet, people who are reading, if they read this book, and that like they're the kind of people who would fall for uh, Red Trump's, you know, rhetoric, like those kind of people they would probably read those scenes and they wouldn't like be like, I agree with Red Skull. They know he's the bad guy. They would probably say something like, why are you putting politics in comic books? Which is a stupid thing to say. I, I hate it. Uh, yes. Hell yeah. Thank you. I'm, I'm surrounded by smart people. That is good to know. Um, but anyways, yeah. So I don't think like I, I, you're right. You know, it's a, it's an excellent way to show how the, like all these factors play into these people being recruited by these figures and then acting out these things that, you know, like they can justify it to themselves. But in reality, you know, when you take even like half a step back, you see, well, obviously this is messed up. 
And I will say that, you know, when we do talk about this kind of Trump voter rhetoric, it does often get kind of oversimplified. I mean, I know people from immigrant communities who haven't even been here five years who were who kind of were like, oh, you know, I don't like other people, even though I'm new here, too. I don't like, you know, I don't I don't like gay people. They're taking the country. I'll vote for Trump. Like, even though they them they like just got here five minutes ago. But well, five years. But the point is, is that, you know, fear and internalized um, kind of problematic views of the world is not just something that is, uh, it's, it's not just, it's not so clear who can have it. You know what I mean? So I do want to say that this kind of people who vote for Trump, there is a range and a slurry and often they cherry pick what they want out of him. I think you have to, right? I mean, I have a friend who is Muslim who voted for Trump. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I mean, every uh, everyone in my family, I'm the first person born in my family in the United States, and there are people in my family who voted for Trump, which confounds me. Okay, so before we get more into the whole secret empire thing, I feel like Nadia should give us a little bit of a summary, like Jordan gave us a summary of Captain America, Steve Rogers before, if that's cool with you, Nadia. No problem. All right, so in Secret Empire, Steve betrays his former comrades and Marvel heroes in order to ascend and take over the U.S. He does this by a variety of ways. The first thing is that he sends a lot of powerful heroes to outer space, led by Carol Denvers, a.k.a. Captain Marvel, to fight off a Chitari attack, and while they were deployed, he put up Earth's defensive shield, and he trapped them with no support, no communication, no provisions to any bases on Earth. Um, so that left them stranded. Similarly, he trapped everyone in New York City in a the Dark Force dimension. So all our favorite kind of street-level heroes and villains are cut off and constantly fighting the demons that Doctor Strange has been trapping in the Dark Force dimension for years. Doctor Strange is also trapped in a dimension and capable of coming back to Earth. The only thing that's keeping the people in the Dark, Dorf, dark Force dimension from being completely overtaken is being consumed by Dagger's light, which cannot keep up forever. So uh, the way that Cap kind of takes over the U.S. government is he just, you know, gets rid of all the heroes, at least the ones who he considers the most powerful. And immediately after his takeover, he starts implementing programs such as purging society of inhumans by placing them in camps, propaganda reels, and um, all of those hilarious conspiracy theories that we mentioned earlier. Children are taught new versions of history. And his biggest plan is one of the things that he was taught by Eliza was that he exists in a dimension that was changed by the comp by uh, Kobik, the uh, Cosmic Cube. Yeah, so his biggest thing is that he believes that he is in a dimension that has been altered by Kobik, the Cosmic Cube, to make it so that the Allies won World War II, when ironically the truth is is that he is in an altered universe, but it's been altered to make him Hydra. So his plan is to re-get the fragments of the Cosmic Cube in order to restore reality, in quotations, which means that he would recreate reality so that the Allies never won World War II, which means that Hydra had no hindrance to them to gain power. So we left a few of the heroes kind of on Earth unhindered, and they were leading the resistance, led by the AI of Tony Stark, Hawkeye and Black Widow. Um, So basically, Rick Jones 
Cap's former ally and former hacker manages to send a message telling those of the resistance about the Cosmic Cube before he was executed by Hydra. So then the resistance basically figures out there's a Cosmic Cube and they say, we need to uh, get it before Cap does. And then that causes the resistance to split between Natasha, who takes many members of the champions and other young members into a red room designed to assassinate Steve Rogers and uh, the other group, which was Tony Stark, Hawkeye and their pals decide to look for the cosmic cubes themselves. They enlist Sam Wilson, who is no longer a captain America. He is now a smuggler getting people out of the country. He smuggles them to Ultron and Cap shows up at the same time. They have a fantastic Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf-esque dinner scene over who should get the shard. Tony eventually wins out with the help of Ant-Man, but Cap ends up getting a cosmic shard from Namor during a takeover. So right now, they're kind of even. And while this is all happening, somewhere in a forest, a man helps a dying woman and announces that he is Steve Rogers and that he's trying to get home while he is wandering in this forest and the audience does not know whether he's from another dimension or what this guy is. He runs into two people who look suspiciously like Sam Wilson and uh, Rick Jones who also don't know why they're there but they also know they need to get home. So we've got those, We where we are now is we've got, you know, Cap... Hydra Cap and uh, Tony fighting over getting the Cosmic Cubes, each one to do a new reality. And then these three doppelgangers trying to figure out who they are and they're in a forest. I think no matter how anyone feels about this story, there was some really incredible art in it. And I think there were some panels that we can all agree were really, really amazing and we'd like to bring up. There's one um, in, was it Secret Empire 2 that had Captain America and he was kind of split down the middle. Half was red, half was blue, and it had kind of all the different realities going on. And I was particularly blown away by that. Uh, so the artist, I hope he's saying, I'm saying his name right, is Andrea Sorrentino. And he is honestly incredible. And he does a lot of really interesting things with panel layout. Again, I mentioned um, my interview with Nick Spencer, where we talk a little bit about one of the most interesting pages where it's a huge Hydra symbol. And everything that had happened in, you know, Captain America, where the Cosmic Cube is every change that has happened since the Cosmic Cube made her changes is kind of rearranged around the Hydra symbol. And it's absolutely gorgeous and so fascinating. So um, I think the art is one of the strongest things. This artist also works on Old Man Logan, which is also a very artistically stimulating book. So, you know, he's just a pro and they work really beautifully together. I, I love all the dark shadows on Cap's face. And, you know, I just uh, I love the art. Yeah, I have to say, not since J.H. Williams' Batwoman have I seen panels that were kind of as interesting as this in mainstream comics. Yeah, I think the Batwoman comparison is a really good one. I was going to say, I think that um, even though it was different artists, I think the style that they used in the flashbacks for the Captain America comic had that kind of same artistic thing where they did like all black and white except for the pops of red. I loved that. And I thought that kind of like what Nadia was saying, they did a good job of managing to infuse that subtle Hydra imagery into every aspect. And I mean, you think about the way that Captain America, like in the costume and the way the book is, like it subtly is always influencing that America thing. 
I thought it was cool the way they did the opposite with this new flipped version. This like dark reality where it was like the dark version of Captain America and they were darkly always kind of subtly referencing the Hydra imagery. So I thought that the art in this instance was kind of like it could have been a missed opportunity. Like they could have just like gone for it in a traditional way, but they did it in a way that like subtly influenced the Hydra influence at all times. And I was a huge fan. So I was going to say, I just I mean, there's no negative comments. Just going off what Nadia said, I liked all of it. Yeah, the art is so great. And I think what made me think of memoir actually is something that you reminded me of, Jamie. I think the use of color in the flashbacks was really reminiscent of Alison Bechdel in Fun Home. Um, you know, she uses sort of a grayish blue with kind of that that grayscale. But the the red obviously made me think of Hydra. But I don't know. I just thought that that was really cool. Yeah, um, the one other panel, I definitely like the panels that all of you guys are talking about as well. I thought they were done beautifully. And the one other panel, I can't remember if it was in one like Secret Empire, one of those, or Secret Empire United or Uprising, but it's a panel where Black Widow is telling the younger heroes who came to her, like, welcome to the Red Room, and is just like walking along the wall with the blood from her hand, just going all across the white wall. I, I love that one. That was definitely well-drawn, well-colored. Yes. Amazing. I'm with you. I was a big fan of that one, too. I also want to say that Nick Spencer's Black Widow is one of my favorite renditions of this character. So as far as major Marvel events goes, how does this compare to stuff like Civil War, Civil War II, Avengers vs. X-Men, Secret Invasion, Secret Wars, all that stuff? I have to say, though, comparing this book to like some of the events I have read that at least I think are kind of worth talking about, Civil War... That's a book that gets a lot of, and I don't want to say like undeserved, it gets a lot of deserved flack, but it does get a lot of, I think, partially undeserved flack for like saying the way it like messed up Iron Man and Captain America. And I feel like, you know, I mean, I'm the one saying it, but you can make similar parallels to what we're talking about in this book too. I would argue though, the reason that book work and also the reason like Civil War 2, which is another one of the ones you mentioned and other books that like pit heroes against heroes, which is kind of at the end of the day, what Secret Empire is about from a technical standpoint. It's like the Civil War had like a clear understanding of what its characters were supposed to be. And granted, down the line, we learned that that wasn't the writer had very different intentions than what actually was in the book. And that kind of ruins it. But like Captain America was the good guy in that. He was the one who's like, no, this is wrong. We're staying against this, even though it isn't really practical. And then Iron Man's like, I know this is not great, but if I don't get behind this now, it's going to be worse. Like there's no fighting this. I just have to minimize the horribleness. And, you know, Iron Man doubts himself constantly and he's like, oh, you know, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing here. And Captain America's like, no, we're doing the right thing. We got to keep pushing through it. And the reason that story works is because it shows that neither one were completely like, like in the long term, Iron Man was wrong. But in the immediate short term, like crime was down. Things were great. And that was the point of it is that at the time it looked good in retrospect. And Captain America's thing was like, it looks like he's fighting against the old ways. But then, you know, as the supervillains got their hands into it and it was like, oh, we can use this for our own benefit. And here, this is more just, you know, as I've said before, it's just sort of, what if Captain America uh, was evil? And also, I guess there's like some superheroes that are also evil for some reasons. They still, I think, explained all of that. But I do want to say that some of that language, that civil war, uh, you know, crime is down, things are that are mirrored exactly in Secret Empire, Secret Empire issue one, where he talks about where he's trying to convince kind of uh, his, I guess, forced girlfriend, Sharon, Carter that um that uh 
that Hydra was doing a good thing. And he says, you know, oh, SAT scores are up, crime is down, so on and so forth. So, uh, you know, I would argue again, it's not really just uh, he's evil. He look, He's looking at that, and even though Sharon Carter tells him, oh, you know, these facts, these figures, these statistics hide the truth of the horror behind what you're doing. He doesn't see it that way. He wants to believe in Hydra. He's believing he's doing the right thing. And that kind of rushing towards what you believe is right, very cap. I do want to add, though, that it, unlike with Civil War, and again, I shouldn't defend Civil War too much because it's not that good of a book, but adding on to that, with this book, or with Secret Empire, when you hear that, though, it's you know it's not necessarily true, even if it is like statistically true. Like, crime is down, sure, but now there's an evil pseudo-Nazi organization defining what crime is. In Civil War, it was specifically related to superhuman crime, which, again, that gets into discrimination. That's a whole other area. I'm not trying to say that that was okay, but since the you know, if you take away like the metaphor of it, which it's kind of hard to do and still make it work. But if you pretend it's just like, oh, these people have superpowers, they're doing their own thing. If we like so- find some way to regulate that, less people are blowing up. Here, it's like, I'm leading this Nazi pseudo regime. I am saying crime is down. Now send the warships to blow up Las Vegas. Like it, it's it, the, the complexity for me is lost in a secret empire. Because it's like you, it's like because obviously they have to make sure it's it's clear that you know Hydra's still the bad guys, and it's like yeah, you have to. I understand. So I think that that kind of uh, is where the it gets a little muddy. Though to be fair, Ward, I kind of do like Civil War, so uh, sorry. (laughs) Um, Don't apologize. I mean, I like the book too. It's just that when I got it the first time when I was young, I was like, this is the best book ever written, and now I'm like older. I'm like, oh, this is embarrassing that I like this so much. Wait, are you referring to Civil War One or Civil War Two? Civil War One, Civil War Two is just trash. I will not chime in, but I did enjoy Civil War One much better. Let's go back to kind of what Jose brought up and that Red Skull scene where he attempts to recruit others using demagoguery, obviously. And you know, I talked about for me that it was just a, it was might as well have been Trump. But what sort of images did it conjure up for you, for everybody else? I tend to look at things from the perspective of there's nothing new um, in, in human history. This has been done before. So you can, you can think of, um, I mean, like some people would put, you know, Trump in, on, in, in that, uh, I guess in that, paint him in that color. People can easily paint Hitler in that color, uh, Mussolini in that color, Stalin in that color. So if you want to talk about like some of the some of the greatest evils that humanity has seen, um, I don't think Trump is is in that quite in that pantheon yet. But you can also look at other people who who are more um, who are definitely I, I don't the the word that comes to my mind is commercial. In that respect, like you start you know going back all, all the way back in history, and you go to the Greeks and the the people the. Socrates is like four favorite a- antagonists that he always talked trash about. Um, and right now the general's name is escaping me, but he, like when you read his parts of the dialogue, he always comes off as being, you know, uh, hyper militant and hyper nationalistic and it's not new. So in reading those particular parts, I, I was, I was, I was thinking it's an old trick that everyone still falls for. Like the, you have a newest, you have a new scapegoat, you have, new verbiage sort of but it still always goes the same idea it's an us versus them tribalistic mentality and you're you are scared i'm going to let you know how scared you are and this is what we can do about it 
For me personally, I didn't think of Hitler and Stalin. I thought more of Trump and like Hugo Chavez and that kind of stuff. I because I I don't know if he said anything particularly evil in that speech, except for the fact that he was the Red Skull. I feel like Red Skull could say anything; it would still be evil. We should up all the puppies so they have good homes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Ward Master of Impressions. It's also the font. the The font in which they write Red Skull is always like like it's not nice. It's not, and also, what's the font they keep writing? I didn't know that um, Thor, uh, Jane Foster Thor, spoke in that font too. Like, I was like, "Aren't you from Connecticut or something?" The hammer does amazing things. I guess it gives you an accent. I mean, who knew? But yeah, um, adding on to Jose's point, I think the victimization of identity has always been very important to this. To think that your identity is a, is about to be a victim and that you have to act before the people who are about to victimize you are about to act. And um, I mean, we've seen that kind of thinking honestly be used historically for terrible actions for kind of the weaponization of a populace you know what i mean like people have justified terrible terrible things you know governments have at least historically by saying we did it because we were in danger you know so you know whether or not that's true so i think that that's what red skull was kind of working on it was working on the idea of like you are in danger and you didn't even know it and uh you have to act now and you have to act hard. The world is against you and you didn't see it, but now I'm letting you see it. And now you have to do what I say. Um, you know, it's just kind of uh, putting people into kind of the mindset ready to fight, ready to give up your life for something. I mean, that character who ended up suicide bombing, you know, we obviously see his trajectory that he never really intended to be part of something that heavily, but when he was told that, you know, this is the only way, you know, everything has been working against you, you've had a hard life, but it's not just because you've had a hard life, it's because there are forces in action that are harder on you than they are on other people, and this is your chance. You know, he was able to get him to kill himself. He's he comes off more as a Rush Limbaugh or a um, Bill O'Reilly than he does like massively evil Hitler. Absolutely, and I, I kind of think I I wonder if that was the point. I feel like it was right. Yeah, I think this book is extremely direct about its sources. Uh, politically, socially, and the things it's trying to comment about. I don't think this book pulls any punches or really kind of masks what it's trying to say. And I do believe that that definitely that he, I mean, he could have pulled that whole entire monologue out of Reddit. You know what I mean? I feel like the, the medium is the mask because that's what I think is so great about comics is that we can have Red Skull saying this stuff, but yet it conjures up images of people who are saying this in actual life. And I think a lot of that, that is very much to Nick Spencer's like credit. Cause as I said earlier, I really liked the way he did the red skull in this uh, book because red skull is the antithesis to cap. You know, cap is the ultimate good guy superhero in the Marvel universe. He's the Superman of this world. And red skull is the perfect opposite of that. He's just evil. And like, you can't humanize pure evil, which is like, there's no such thing as pure evil, but this guy is the closest thing in a human form that we're going to get. But he still managed to make him, you know, charismatic and he's got like this rhetoric and he inspires this imagery with you, like the way he's designed and or drawn in this and the way he behaves. And like that was why I think that's the best part of the book, just because of how well that like striking imagery was done with him. Yeah, I, I really agree. 
And a lot of people on the internet, they're having this debate about Hydra. And is it the same thing as Nazism? Is it part of the Third Reich? And that's one reason I had us go back and read <laughs> Captain Savage and his Leatherneck Buddies. What is it called? Captain Savage and his Leatherneck Friends or something? Nothing like that. It's just, I think it's just Captain, Captain Savage and his Leatherneck and I think it's just Captain Savage and the Leathernecks. I thought it was and his Leathernecks. Oh, maybe. Yeah. I, I I tried not to look at Leatherneck too hard. I was just like, he owns them. I wasn't aware. Uh, it was his. I thought I had like the, the capital H. I was really scared. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, do you think that Nick spent... Do, if you already thought that Hydra and Nazism were literally the same thing, do you think that Nick Spencer changed that in the way that he wrote the story or... You know, was that always kind of your opinion? It's really, really tricky because I know just from like my mix of both old comic book reading and also advanced Wikipedia searching um, that like the relationship between Hydra and actual Nazism is really complicated. Like this was no matter what, like a lot of the times, pretty much every supervillain that Captain America was fighting during the World War Two days were like Nazi themed. And Hydra was no, you know, absolutely. And there's plenty of panels and comics where it's like, yes, this is what we are. The tricky part is, is like in this series, it's like well, part of it is because this is a lot of it is alternate reality stuff. Like in one of the issues they portray, it's like, oh, we're using Nazis, which makes them Nazi sympathizers, sort of. So it's that's still not great, but like the semantics of it. But then it's also like, okay, this is an alternate universe though, where their history is being rewritten. So does that mean like once it all goes back to normal, is like, are they still back to just being Nazis, or how does it work? And I don't know, I. It's very strange seeing. I, I don't think Nick Spencer changed that though, or at least I don't think it was his intention. I feel like that might have been like a Marvel higher up thing. Like, hey, those backpacks with the Hydra logos on them are selling really well. Let's maybe not make them Nazis, you know? Which I feel like is it's tricky because, like, you know, I one of my favorite shows is actually the Avengers Earth Mice Heroes TV show, and for obvious reasons, Hydra's in it, but they're not like, oh, look, here's our swastikas, you know, <laughs> and one of my favorite villains from that show was Baron Zemo, who also shows up in this comic. And he's also written really well, by the way, again, praising Nick Spencer's talent with writing villains or just uh, really muddy moral characters. And like on one hand, you know, from that show, I always thought like, oh, Zemo's using Hydra. He's not really part of them. And then I'm reading this comic and I'm thinking, wait a minute. Like I made that, like I had that in my mind that I made the thought about Hydra in this comic. And then they like clashed together. And I was like, wait a second. Is one of my favorite Captain America villains actually a Nazi? <laughs> I don't know what to think anymore. Yeah, I think it's funny that you um, didn't have Hydra and the Nazis just kind of equaling each other award because I do think that Hydra equaling Nazi has been something that has been marketed and has been put out there. Plus, the Nazi allegory is one that makes it easier for any reader to come in and be like, okay, the bad guys are Hydra who used to be Nazis. And that's why part of the reason why Captain America doesn't like them and other people don't like them. But at the same time, I personally don't think that Hydra necessarily should be, or even is synonymous with the Nazi party itself. Sure. Like we saw in that Captain Savage um, comic book that he did originally hang out with um, Hitler. And like, that was kind of where it came from, but even now, I think that Hydra has definitely evolved. They are the bad guys, but I think they've definitely come out of the Nazi party and they're not Nazis anymore. And I definitely think that um, Nick Spencer brought that out more with having Red Skull like, be killed. And so he's 
he was the Nazi connection and now we don't have it, but we do have a whole nother set of villains who are the Hydra council or whatever they're called who are like bound together to Hydra and fighting for Hydra. And they're all together versus like Hydra, not Nazi Hydra or anything like that. Yeah. Um, I think that, that I agree with Ward that the relationship is difficult. And even in that comic, you know, Captain Savage comic that we read, we, you know, we saw that he actually had a beef with Hitler that, you know, he was exiled by Hitler and that the first thing he wanted to do, he was more, he was so up yeah that the nazis were like you are you are yeah the, evil, the, the, man. The, the nazis like kicked him out and exiled him and then he had to go to japan and try to make a new thing and the whole thing was about how he himself was hydra and hydra was him and but you know and he had a beef with hitler and his first plan was to go there and bomb germany in revenge for what hitler did to him so i think that there's an immediate kind of separation there but because they worked so closely with the hydra party and also i think again in the movies you know in the captain america movie we do see him in world war ii fighting you know nazis and then also hydra and hydra's kind of a separate thing but it's in in the nazi part you know so it's very complicated but i think that a good thing that this series does is that not only does it further complicate the relationship of hydra's using the nazi party but that also it complicates what hydra means to those in hydra you know red skull thinks he is hydra baron uh, zemo thinks another thing's hydra captain america thinks that hydra is not supposed to be about one person supposed to be about saving the world hilariously so i think that you know it shows that even within an organization and in secret empire it is kind of hinted that people in the hydra council want to overthrow steve as the new head hydra person so i think that it's interesting to show that there are within a movement even an evil movement there's conflicting ideologies about how to run that movement so i think that that's a lot of realism and a lot of really interesting things to put in there. So I think that Nick Spencer does a great job of complicating that relationship. But also I think that I agree with Jordan where I don't really think they should be equated to Nazis because, you know, Nazi, I mean, not saying that anything is too, you know, good to touch, but to say Hydra is literally Nazis is kind of offensive to those who, have suffered at the hands of Nazis, you know, Hydra is like an organization with, you know, resurrections and crazy costumed characters. And, and in a comic book. In a comic book, and they use magic. And, and not in real life. Yeah, so, I mean, I think that it's dangerous to be like, it's literally Nazis. It's it's literally not. Um, it's not that serious, and Nazis are very serious, and there are still Nazi parties that operate today. We just don't think of them as the Nazis. We think of them as national socialist parties, so... Which is not the same. I think it uh, oversimplifies simplifies the whole Nazi thing, and that can be very problematic. Yeah, and I think for those people listening too, be aware that we're talking about Hydra in the comics because I do think, for better or for worse, that the connection between Nazism and Hydra is a little bit more is a little bit closer in the movies, and we're talking about it in the comics. And I think it's it's. Look, and I'm only saying that because I think it's two different arguments and that it changes a little bit. Um, my opinion doesn't change, but I think it, it changes the nuance of the argument, I would say. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people, the reason that uh, I wanted to address kind of the problems of calling them Nazis is because that is another argument used against whether or not Secret Empire should exist, that by making him literally Nazis while there's a rise of the alt-right happening now is an inappropriate time. And then, you know, so 
you have to kind of look at that connection to see if that holds water. And if it doesn't, then it's just not a com- an argument that holds water about whether or not it should exist. Because that's why that's what a lot of people are, are arguing about, whether or not Secret Empire should exist and if it is offensive. And um, I think that that argument should definitely be shifted, like the argument we're having here about whether or not it's just good or true to the character. So that's why I think that something like that about kind of the whole Nazi problem is important to address. And also, if you want more of an array of Hydra stories, you can look at Bendis' Spider-Woman, where Madame Hydra was in there. I guess she's Viper now. No connection to anything but Hydra. And also, my understanding was always that, not always, but was for a long time, that Hydra was an ancient organization that worshipped an inhuman god. That's just from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. That was not in the comics. That wasn't in the comics? Nope. Unless they retconned that that was just introduced in Agents of well, S.H.I.E.L.D. I thought that was mentioned in the 2009 Secret Warriors run. That's what then. I thought, too. That's where I got it from. Well, um, Maybe okay, it well, it hasn't happened until recently in that case, but well, I apologize. Um, I was wrong. No, 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 sure. It might have been retconned I, that, for that the was, show. That was recent, too, yeah. Um. Anyway, that, so, someone fact-checked that quickly. Just kidding. No, but either way, uh, it's interesting to... To talk about but so kind of going off of that is secret empire an affront to captain america's jewish creators not really i don't think so and i mean i that might seem strange for me as someone who's you know been bashing this book and definitely does feel like there's some weird connotations of you know captain america fight or fighting for this team but i will say it is a situation of like whatever you think of hydra as a pseudo or not so pseudo nazi organization I don't feel like the, the context of the story isn't making Captain America into like a literal Nazi. So I don't feel like it's an affront to his creators. I feel like, you know, they might not like it. I mean, I think Stan Lee said he did like the book. Oh, that might just be because he has to say that or something. I don't know. But yeah, I, I don't think it's, I don't think so. I reluctantly agree. My, my position is, and it goes back to the previous point that you guys were making regarding whether Hydra is, is a stand-in for Nazis or not. And yes, so if you if you believe that Hydra, um, whether it's an agent organization which helped or fund or support Nazis, where you stand in that in that relationship is very much going to color whether you're going to take this kind of Captain America as an affront or not. So that yeah, I, but the reason why I say reluctantly agree is because in the in the Marvel universe we have always had stand-ins for for the evils of the world, right? And it, Nazis are some of the few, and now with Islamic terrorism, those are like the only two that come to my mind that that were literal translations from the real world into the comic books. Versus, you know, um, mutants being stand-ins for, for race and, and, and gender and identity and stuff like that. So the reluctance part comes in in thinking about it with regard to what function does Hydra have for you as a reader, as a stand-in for the real-world evil? And if Hydra really is that thing that is considered e- not just this abstract evil, but this very real evil who carries out very real things in our world, which was the Nazi Party, which which is you know terrorism, then it's like ugh. again, it goes it, it goes back to being problematic. And I just wanted to add on, I, you know, I thought about it for a second. I think I would say it was an affront if this was the same story, but Red Skull was part of like Cap's little like Hydra Council. 
I feel like in that case, I would think, I don't know, I can't say it's an affront for the creators because I'm not the creators. I don't want to put words in their mouths, but like, I feel like it was me and I was in that situation. I would be upset because I know for a fact that there's a panel out there somewhere in the comic book universe where Red Skull's like wearing like a swastika on his street. He's like, I has always been about this. And there's even the famous scene where the Joker's like, oh, I, I might be a psycho, but I'm an American psycho. Let's fight. That, so if he was part of that, then I'd be like, yeah, I get it. Okay. But with the current, I know a lot of the council that is like, a lot of them aren't even like that Hydra affiliated. So I feel like they wouldn't care. So that's, that's I guess where I come from. That. I mean, I would say that there is a scene uh, that exists in the internet because I've seen it where Captain America is brainwashed by Red Skull and has an actual swastika on his shield in place of the kind of typical thing. And that was, I'm pretty sure, from the uh, original creator. So I think they were willing to kind of be subversive to make a message. And uh, I think that we shouldn't be afraid of that either. And uh, yeah. Maybe it's because they're older, but I'm, and and I don't want to make post-trauma or anything like that. You know, I don't want to dismiss it, but I, I searched for it actually. And I have not seen one story of anyone who was directly connected to the Holocaust even commenting on this. And I would be curious what someone who did have a relationship with it would have thought about this storyline. Or if, they, I'm, I'm curious about that. I mean, I wasn't going to talk because I don't, not Jewish, I'm, I'm Latin American, whole different ball of wax and the whole other relationship with Nazism. But like from the soldier component, I mean, you have, you still have World War II vets who are very sensitive to trying to make Germany, not I'm talking about Nazis, like Germany come off of it in a positive light and taking it to the point of Nazis being okay and anything that's American being, you know, aligned in a positive way with, with Nazis, like those people would definitely t- see it as an affront. But again, it's, it's your relationship with the, with the real as opposed to the, the character. I think that's really very important. I do think that also, you know, there is a little bit of a hypocrisy to say that just because the creators are Jewish, they wouldn't be able to tell a good story. That like th- that this story would be like, oh, sorry, the story can't, you know, can't exist. It's too offensive, even if it uh, has a good message or even if it was just a well done story that their identities would stop them from creating art. I think that there's a, a little bit of a hypocrisy there. So there's people out there, Jose brought them up before, very against diversity in Marvel Comics, and they say that making Captain America, or Steve Rogers rather, a sleeper agent for Hydra is because Marvel is trying to push diversity down people's throats, and that they're trying to make Sam Wilson the definitive Captain America. What would you have to say to those people? Quit being butthurt. And I'm sorry, I, I jumped on it so quickly, but quit being butthurt. The... First of all, it's a story, and the the human condition of creating stories is to exercise our demons and exalt our virtues and try to look at the world from a whole bunch of different perspectives that sometimes are your own, more oftentimes are not. Um, and, and it's these shared experiences through narratives that um, that connect us and, and entertain us and do all, all these other amazing, uh, you know, very human things. This is in, is another example of of creating because i mean what do they say like there's there's a saying in creative writing that essentially like the, there's like only like seven or eight core stories and everything is a variation every story that comes out of is a variation of those seven and this is 
Captain America stories, the idea of him being brainwashed or being turned to something else, or um, he might become, he might become the new baby Jesus 30, 40 years from now. We don't know. But what makes comics wonderful is that we can play with, we can play with these ideas and it pushes the boundaries of not just, you know, how we're entertained on, on the superficial level, but it pushes the boundaries of what we can what consider acceptable or it makes us think about, you know, the what if. I remember I used to, when I was a kid, I hated what if comics because they used to, I go, no, that's, that's not the way it went. It was, it was this, this, and this. And in growing up, um, being able to go, okay, hold on, let, let's, let's think about that for a second. Would it really change my position on X? Or, and I think that, you know, it's funny, like reading Captain America as a sleeper Hydra agent did not change my opinion of Captain America. And I think it's because that he's still this moral, like what we consider to be moral good character. Yeah. Quit the crap. I would say that's incredibly ironic and obviously Nick Spencer knows how to piss people off because there are people who say you're trying to push diversity down our throats and you're making fun of conservatives and we don't like that. So we hate you and we hate your comic. And then there are people on the left who are saying your comic is incredibly offensive and we don't like that. And we hate you and we hate your comic. And we're going to set your comic on fire, which has no fascist overtones at all. But and beat you up. And, and yeah, and threaten violence against you because that's really liberal of us. But the point is, is that I think that um, there's just a lot of irony in that I think that no one is going to be happy. And I think that's because it is an incredibly timely story. This is a story. I, there's yeah, you said it before perfectly, Justin. The mask is the medium. There is no question about what this story is trying to say. The medium is the mask. You mean? Yeah, the medium is Wait, the mask. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That the medium is the. Uh, you know, well, I figured it meant the same thing inversed. But. Oh, it does. But yeah, the, you know, this is a comic that knows what it's trying to say. It is very clear on what side Nick Spencer stands. It's clear what he's um, trying to talk about. And I don't understand the vilification of Nick Spencer in this kind of narrative. And I think it's because he's just dealing with a very popular character and everyone wants something to say. Also, I do think that there's, you know, the internet, it kind of breeds this kind of like everybody wants to be part of a group and part of a team. And, and you know, I guess Hydra breeds the same kind of ideas. But I think that, you know, for me, one of the most poignant scenes in Secret Empire so far has been that um, dinner scene with Ultron where Ultron talks to both Tony and Steve about why they're both wrong and they're both violent. And I think that that's a perfect kind of... Uh, a way of showing how we feel about our politics right now. Nothing feels like a good option. Nothing feels good. You know, everybody feels like they're making mistakes. So I think that, yeah, I think that that's why people are wild. It's a, it's a very uh, famous character. People were wild before the series actually came out. And, um, I, I don't think it's really about diversity or anything. Everybody's going to make it about something, but it's just about, you know, following the herd. I wish all the people who were riled up, or enjoyed this, regardless, we're reading this comic because it's good and it would be good for comics. Uh, but Nadia, you really well laid out the backlash Nick Spencer has had to deal with. And I guess I wanted to see if anyone else wanted to comment on that. Uh, people have been threatening him. Someone wrote a letter who was in the military saying that his entire reason for going into the military was now taken from him. And he threatened violence against Nick Spencer. Jose has is putting up his middle finger, two middle fingers. Do do you want to respond verbally to that? Yeah. It, if you joined the military for college money, 
I would have more respect for you than saying that you joined the military for a comic book character, not even a comic book. And yeah, right. Not even a comic book. Like it, not to say, and I'm not disparaging the medium of, of comics. Obviously we're all here because we enjoy it and we have, and, and we have respect for them. But again, separate real world from fiction. And if you can't do that, I don't want you carrying a firearm and saying that you purport to defend the country. Sorry. And you can quote me on that one. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, it's just like people like regardless of whatever Marvel's intentions with the story were, I don't think it really this big conspiracy theory stuff works. I think it was just at the same time. It's like one, we're going to try to push diversity because our movies are big right now. And at some point, the future of the superhero genre is going to look a lot less like this. I'm gesturing to my own face. I'm a white guy, by the way, so everyone can understand. He is, if he was like any this. more white, he would be clear. Yeah, pretty much. I'd be opaque, pretty much. But yeah, the future's going to look a lot less like this. And right now, Marvel's trying to test drive like new characters, like, you know, uh, maybe, like, I'm just going to give an example of my personal opinion. Like, I haven't enjoyed Jane Foster Thor, but maybe it might work in a movie and people would really like it. And that's totally fine. And I love Sam Wilson, Captain America. If he did become the one true Captain America, that's totally fine with me, honestly. And if that's the future this this moniker and these this char- these two characters take. That's fine. And as I said, I don't enjoy the story, but I don't think this was like some part of some big grand conspiracy of like what's going to happen with these two, which is two things, two separate things. Like they're testing out characters in one field and they're trying this weird out there story in the other. And they just happen to like intersect and people are like, oh, there's a connection, Illuminati. That's probably not what they're saying, but you know what I mean? This, uh, there we go. Triangle. Let's say this. Let's let's go along with the conspiracy theory for a second that it is Marvel pushing a diversity agenda. So and, and by by making Captain America bad, they can make if we were to go down that route and say, well, they're trying to liberals are trying to shove this down our throats. Did they completely they, like do they only read Captain America is, is my first question. They don't even read. They don't even read comics. Exactly. Like the people who the, anyone who is making that statement maybe only reads Captain America and has only read like the issues where they fought the Nazis and they've completely ignored, you know, 20, 30 years of of Captain America and every other Marvel comic book that that the and I hate saying it because it's not it's not pushing diversity. It's really looking at reality and saying exactly what Ward said the world, not just in the United States, but the world is moving towards an inclusive environment where appearance and, and gender and sexual orientation and faith are not the discriminants, but it's our, our thoughts and behaviors. And that's what comic books have been about. So even if you were to go along with that conspiracy theory, you must have ignored all of the comic book history. This whole diversity argument, honestly, if we have to be honest, start is is because is from people who don't want to see their favorite heroes not be white. I mean, I've had a ter- I mean, I had a very bad conversation once when I worked at a bookstore where uh, this woman said, "I don't want my daughter reading Ms. Marvel because my daughter shouldn't have to look." shouldn't have to look at a Muslim superhero. So that's kind of their mentality, the people who would make this uh, diversity argument. But however, I have to also say for the people, I noticed a lot of people on the internet who get offended on behalf 
of other people rather than, you know, those allowing these people to speak for themselves and their own opinion. Um, And somebody very smart told me that being offended by this whole Captain America Hydra thing is pretty much a litmus test for what some people might call privilege because it entails that you weren't already excluded from the narrow group of people who are racially and economically, you know, not Captain America. And if we're going to, and, you know, kind of to bring this back to the beginning, that that person who joined uh, and went to Afghanistan, which already, you know, very kind of, gray area why we entered that region and what we did to that region during the uh, Soviet Union kind of spread and our relationship with the Middle East. So if you were misled by Captain America to join this kind of uh, thing, then, you know, I'm sorry because you obviously didn't read the subtext. Yeah, Nadia, I want to go back to your point about people don't want their favorite superheroes to not be white males or white. Uh, Because I, like I've said numerous times this podcast, I love Captain America. And I personally, I love Steve Rogers. That's just like the one iteration that I like the most. But that doesn't mean that I would not be so behind seeing Sam Wilson as Captain America and Steve Rogers like going away. I mean, and I'm white myself, a white female. So, I mean, white people have had more representation um so yeah i think it's ridiculous that people don't want to see sam rogers or even going into miss marvel or um iron heart with riri williams like i think all those characters are awesome and i love them and yeah i agree people who don't want to see their white superheroes favorite superheroes gone well come on catch up like look around we're not all white here so I love Riri Williams. I just want to say that. Um, she's really awesome. But also, excuse me, in terms of a business perspective, it's smart for the films. Because guess what? One day, Chris Evans is, you know, he's pushing 40. He's not going to look like Chris Evans looks now. And who's going to be the next Captain America? Is it going to be the uh, Sebastian Stan? Is it going to be Anthony Mackie? People are going to have to, you're going to want to make money off that moniker. And you're going to want to have actors, people want to f- playing those characters. And it's really quite that simple. I'm, okay, maybe I'm the idealist of the group, but it's not necessarily, I think, I mean, I know that there's a profit motive, but I also think that Marv, one of the reasons why I've, I've enjoyed, I, I started with the Marvel uh, titles is because at that time in, in the late 80s, early 90s, to me, it was the Marvel titles that were, being inclusive because the world itself was starting to come to a realization that exclusivity leads us to more and more conflict. And that is a much more noble goal than pushing the, well, we have to do this because it makes uh, money on the one hand, obviously more noble, but it also makes more sense for these comics have built themselves a lot of them. I mean, I would even say Superman and like and, and the DC titles, they built themselves on on attracting people who felt like outsiders, who who didn't quite fit in, who let their imaginations run wild. I mean, think of think of the nuclear family, right? The, the family from the 1950s and 60s. They were all very pragmatic because they thought the world was going to end at, at a moment's notice in a, in a nuclear holocaust. Very practical people. 
And it was, it was, you know, the Gen Xers and Yers, which I don't know what happened to Generation Y, and then the Millennials who have been able to be hopeful about a future that doesn't end in nuclear holocaust. What does that world look like then, you know, us just being to, you know, trying to figure out ways to, I don't know, this sounds also kind of weird and cheesy, but I just thought about it was actually trying to bring about the world that the hippies were trying to bring about the one that the baby boomers abandoned. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. And I think what I was referring to before is more of a latent function of having diverse characters and that it can help the corporate end. But I really do think Marvel has a vested interest in having diverse characters for the purposes that Jose was just saying. If you go back to 1975, and sorry to bring up X-Men again, but right, I mean, they created Storm, and Storm is the most recognizable black superhero, not male, not female. It might be changing now with the Black Panther movie coming out, but she that was her title until it changes, possibly with Black Panther. In New Mutants in 1982, you have a team that consists mostly of women. It's led by a Native American woman. It consists of characters from Vietnam. It consists of characters from Brazil. And it's a very, very diverse group. And if you compare that to another big publisher whose name I won't say, but when we were interviewing Marv Wolfman, if you listen to that podcast, for a certain publisher he was working for at the same time, wanted to create a male character for one of his comics. That publisher alluded to the fact that they didn't want to have a black character because it would negatively impact sales in the South. And from talking to Peter David, who I interviewed at Five Points Festival, from talking to Chris Claremont all the times I did, there was never an issue with that. And if you look at other publishers up until the point of even like 2011, 2012, look at Batwoman. She wasn't even allowed to get married. And North Star was allowed to get married way before that. And Wicked and the Hulkling and the Avengers existed before that, too. So I'm not saying that comics don't have a long way to go in terms of getting more diverse in terms of looking like the demographic of people who are actually reading them. But I do think that, or I want to bolster Jose's point, rather, and that Marvel has been on the forefront of that for since way before it was a hot button issue, way before it was cool to be diverse or way before it was hated to be diverse. Yeah, I definitely want to bolster that point in saying that, yeah, I do think that Marvel is, you know, took a big risk. Um, I know that I didn't, you know, I was reading a lot of DC, but I will say, I will admit that I started really picking up Marvel when Ms. Marvel came out. I know she's Pakistani and not Arabic, but you know what? It's the closest we've gotten So <laughs> in kind of mainstream uh, media. So... I think that, um, and I do want to tell people on the internet, because I see a lot of this, that um, maybe ease up on Marvel a little bit. I mean, every time they cancel a diverse book, it's not a conspiracy. It's just sales. Go uh, out and buy it. Yeah, go out and buy it. And uh, encourage other people to buy you, it. You know what? You can be an activist through your capital. So, uh, you know, use that capital wisely. And... Um, yeah, so it's not a conspiracy. Uh, please ease up on Marvel. The editorial team, I'm sure, are very lovely, and they are doing their best. We know some of them. You used to work with them. Yes, I did. Inherent bias. I was an intern at one point, and they're very and lovely And you worked people. for the editorial team. I did. They're very lovely. My former Comics First co-host um, works for the... Is an assistant editor at Marvel. Oh, yes. yeah. She was yeah. your boss. Yes. Hi, wow. Kathleen. You're full, great. Full circle. <laughs> 
but the point is, is that I would say that I see a lot of conspiracy and hatred over Marvel and saying that every time they cancel a diverse book, it's because, you know, they don't want diversity anymore. Uh, not everyone at Marvel speaks for the editorial team at Marvel. Uh, the editorial team doesn't get to make all their decisions. Uh, just the kind of because, makes the decisions. Yeah. So, I mean, guys, they're doing their best. And if you really want a book with a certain character represented to be done, then please go buy that book. It's it's on you. As the uh, guy in charge of the DC section here, Marvel does do better diversity. That's just an unquestionable fact. And it's 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 so like one of the things right now is that uh, there's a character called the Adam and who is a traditionally a white guy. And a long time ago, they not that long ago, probably like maybe 10, 20 years at the most, like they introduced a Asian man who took over the, the title. And then, you know, it went back to being the original one. And now that guy's back and DC and I've seen like, you know, fans of DC comics who like are bashing Marvel for their diversity. It's like, Oh, look at that. See, DC does diversity too, but they do it better. And it's like, I am 100% sure that if you were around when that character was originally introduced, you would have been pissing your f-ing pants over it. It's like the people are, are mad at Marvel for the diversity stuff and like are trying to come up with some big conspiracy thing about all this or just, it's not even just that they're they're like racist assholes. I'm sure that's a huge part of it. No, no question. It's like someone they're just stupid people who don't like the, their brains don't like. I mean, I'm not saying they're like intrinsically stupid people because again, people are complicated. But like their thought process for this issue doesn't make any sense to me. Can you fathom if Cyborg became the new Batman? How people would react? Well, wasn't there already kind of uh, Ward? You might know. Wasn't there already an issue with a character named Nighthawk who was kind of posed to be? I thought it was <laughs> Batwing. Was it Nighthawk? um, I don't know if we're talking about the same thing. I know that there's a very obscure character named Blackwing who was like a black guy in Batman costume, but for some reason that didn't catch on. I can't fathom why. Um, There is a character called Batwing who's like... That's what I was talking about. Who was in the New 52 and he was the child soldier who did parkour. He's the traditionally... Well, like, I mean... The only use of that character has been black, so I don't know if, if people were upset about that. I no, no, oh, no, 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 they weren't. But yeah, no, I I was just gonna say if someone took up the actual Batman and said it because who was it? Was it uh, Dick Grayson was Batman for a while? Yeah, and then Jim Gordon was Batman. Yeah, but what if Cyborg was Batman? Yeah, no. So I was just trying to say is that I think if Blackwing took up, we we'd get some one hell yeah, of a reaction. Yeah, I was gonna say if Cyborg took up the mantle, I'd probably think that was stupid, but not because like it's a black man. It's because it's Cyborg and he has nothing to do with that. If Batwing took it over. I'd pretty much be fine with that. Granted, I'm sort of of the same mindset. Like the reason I like Sam Wilson as Cap so much is because that just makes sense to me. It's like he's his partner. You know, he's been like with Captain America for so long. It makes perfect sense. So that's the same way for me. That is like with Nightwing taking over Batman. That makes sense to me. So like Batwing is kind of a new character. I wouldn't have a problem with it, but compared to like other options, it wouldn't be like as like aha good good choice to me. But again, I don't think it'd be a problem. Well, people will probably have a problem with it. I wouldn't. In, in terms of the, the the race component. You're all about nepotism. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Yeah. If you're not a sidekick it, and or like a really long-time partner, don't even question it. Like if Steel became the new Superman, I don't know how he'd do that since he's just a dude, but I'd be fine with that. But if it was like, actually, yeah, now I think about Lex Luthor. Is, I was about to make like a joke about Lex Luthor being the current Superman, and he is the cur- a current Superman. Oh my God. Anyway, someone changed the topic before my head. What if, what if Starfire was the next Batman? What if the Joker was the next Batman? <laughs> oh my God. What if I always think Joker should be Alfred. Anyway, now we're going on a whole different thing. But anyway, last question. We all have, are aware and are motivated by preconceived notions that other people have 
about Captain America, Steve Rogers, Secret Empire, and these works of Nick Spencer. What is something we want people who have the preconceived notions that each one of us has in the forefront of our minds, what's something that we can say to them and that they hope they can learn from listening to this podcast and actually reading those two stories? Here's what I want people to take away. Regardless of whether you uh, are, think this book is super clever and subversive or if you're like me and think it's you know not the best way to tell maybe the story it was thinking of, whatever you think about it, it's just a book. And you can dislike the book and even dislike the work of the creator, but creators are still human beings unless he's like, I mean, I'm Nick Spencer. He's done a lot of great work. I've also read some of his opinions on stuff. I don't agree with everything he says, but he's a human being making art cut him some a little bit of slack or cut him a lot of bit of slack depending on how much you dislike his stuff this uh recent stuff if you want to beat him up you should probably just take a chill pill and that's pretty violent just saying also like nine times out of ten if you're a dude in the internet saying you want to beat up someone you can't beat up someone dude you're you're probably as like maybe like you could beat me up and i don't do like much exercise stuff and either that i think like a rock with or a stiff breeze could probably beat up these people who like make threats on the internet yeah, no, I mean, if you don't have a picture, if your picture is, like, of an anime character and your name is, like, Ruling Ghost or something, <laughs> then you're a troll, and I don't give a shit what you have to say. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay, that goes out to one of our trolls in, in particular. <laughs> Sorry, Jose. <laughs> that, that threw me off. Um, what, what I was going to say is that everyone wants the benefit of their doubt, the, the benefit of the doubt, when it comes to their, their, the way they think their art. And I mean, I'm going off of Ward's point here. Cause I, I had a very similar thought, which is we, we seem to live in a takedown culture right now. The internet makes that so simple. You know, you have, if, if you can destroy in air quotes, uh, someone else's argument and, and tear them down and make a mockery out of them, somehow that makes you, the better, you know, or the intelligent, more intelligent, more whatever person. However, when it comes to someone criticizing your work or in your thoughts and your opinions, um, you want to throw the nuance out there. You want people to understand that there's, well, there's a sliver of what it is that you're, uh, that you're trying to get to in a, in a narrow and, and a nuance. Give the artists in this series um, the benefit of the doubt. Give them the opportunity to actually develop, finish developing the story. And if you don't like it, you don't like it. And that's fine. And, and, and But there's going to be uh, people out there that do like it. But there's something worthwhile from this. There's a lot actually worthwhile from the story to take. Um, whether it's the stylistic choices, um, whether it's the art, or whether it's simply like if you go, you know what, this is not the best way to to rewrite a character i can think of a better way you learn something that there was a benefit there um and give give the authors and the artists uh a chance to give them the benefit of the doubt give them the same respect you would want from your work yeah i will say that um i absolutely agree with both ward and jose i think that everyone is entitled to their opinion but here's the thing um the thesis cannot come before reading the thing so I would say that please don't go with kind of the general outrage or just because you read an article, an opinion article, you know, 
be original, please read it for yourself. It might not be what you think. And if you do read it and you still feel the same way, that's absolutely fine because you have read it and you have, you know, kind of taken the steps you need to form a whole opinion. And um, if you still don't like it, that's fine. But please don't police other people who don't agree with you. You know, don't call them Nazi sympathizers. Don't call them racist just because you know, you feel one way about this book and they feel another, it might not be that simple unless they're literally telling you, you know what? The only thing I liked about that book was that red skull. He was right. And everything else in this book was garbage. Don't call them names. Well, even that's okay. As long as you're not saying the Nazi aspect of him, because you can say he's a good villain. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm not saying like, if they're saying they're like, oh yeah, this, uh, I've read this and yeah, it's been inspired I, me <laughs> to join the alt-right, like the, the KKK. Because technically that was what I said was, and there's nothing good about this book except the Red Skull. And I don't like the Red Skull. His message really resonated with me in a <laughs> yeah. really deeper way than I was expecting. No, <laughs> please. So yeah, so uh, and I mean I, you know, don't uh, and please don't use the stuff like this as kind of a platform to try to make yourself look good. I mean, there's a lot of hypocrisy, a lot of posturing on the internet. Um, there's a lot of, you know, just kind of trying to make yourself feel good. So please don't use this and use other people who like this or people who don't like this as a way to bolster your own ego everyone's a person um and everybody who's read this book has a their opinion is valid go watch al jazeera go learn about the world if you're that pissed off about this it means you're either not having enough sex or that you're not thinking about stuff that's outside of your bubble enough. and you know i'm gonna do a very specific call out i have seen people on the internet um people who are criticizing people of color for not being outraged enough and if you're doing that, you need to take a really hard, cold look at yourself. And I hope this message makes you rethink you. Yeah, I think everyone summed it up pretty well. Um, I guess my other plug is look at the other characters, too. I think they're being written pretty well as well. I love Tony. I love Hawkeye. I love Black Widow. And I think they're awesome. Also, replugging my sport for Sam Wilson because he's also awesome. Uh, so, if you like him in this or like any of these other characters, definitely go check out other things that have been written about them because, hey, you might not like how Captain America ends up in this. You might not like him being uh, Hydra. Sorry. You might not like him being Hydra, but you might find that you like another character and want to really get to know them and know what they're about more. Uh, slightly, I want to amend my answer despite the fact that I just realized I think this is the only time anyone's outright agreed with me during this. But I wanted to say, as someone like Captain America is like my third favorite superhero of all time. Like, I think he's amazing. Uh, Superman is my second. And you have no idea how many shitty Superman stories I've had to do where it's like, oh, what if he became evil? It's going to be fine, guys. Like, if you're a huge Captain America fan, this, this story pisses you off so much. I get it, it pisses me off. But it's going to be fine. There will be more Captain America stories. There's going to be more Superman stories. There's going to be more Spider-Man. If you're still pissed off about Superior Spider-Man, get outside, please. Um, it's going to be fine. These characters, they might change. They might not even last forever. But, you know, you'll always have those great stories that you already had with them. And you probably will get more great stories with them in the future. Uh, since we're all um, telling people what they should think, I want to tell you what you should think. And I would say take a cue from us X-Men fans. Look, when the writers were sick of writing my favorite characters, they just killed them all and brought back teenage versions of them in one issue. No one cared. No one cried. I did, but no one was crying with me. Everyone's like, oh, let's see how this plays out. You, you, you murder 
and desecrate the the memories of my childhood and somehow I'm still reading. And you know what? I wake up every day. As my mom said after Trump was elected, the sun will come up tomorrow. Uh, it did. And you know what? We're not mad about anything. I mean, Storm has a mohawk one day. The next day, she doesn't have a mohawk. Uh, you know, Jean Grace literally died and been reborn 14 times. And that doesn't even include this little teenage thing. So, you know what I'm saying? We're, 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 relax. Relax. I will say it's ironic that after X-Men being so diverse, the people that you bring back are the original five white people from the New York City area, but whatever. All right, cool. On that note, I think we can uh, finish up unless anyone has any last words, like a priest. You know what? I have one thing to say, and this is purely speculation. So at this point, if this cuts into too much conspiracy theory, just cut this off. But if that like extra Steve Rogers running around that like weird limbo world turns out to be the ultimate one and he comes back and replaces the real one, I'm going to be livid. And if it's the reverse and that's the original one and the evil one is actually the ultimate universe, that only that makes so much sense to me. I'll probably retroactively love this story. Oh, my God. Either way, I would think that was so smart. Not the first way. Please, God. Nick Spencer, blink twice if we've guessed the ending. Yeah, we can feel it. Of course, I want to thank the entire panel for this discussion. And for more information on Nadia and Jordan's thoughts on Captain America and Secret Empire, be sure to check out our two-part roundtable that they both participated in. And Nadia also has an interview with Nick Spencer on there. We have another interview with Nick Spencer from before this whole shebang started. So, of course, you can find more podcasts like this, videos, interviews, articles, etc over at comicsverse.com so be sure to check us out and i totally forgot to mention that we're doing this for july 4th so happy july 4th everybody i hope that you are getting wasted on bud light and there are firecrackers going off around you in an area which they are legal not in new york city in my backyard like they do every year basically from now until august very specific call out there (laughs) yeah to my neighbors okay anyway i think we're done good night God bless. And God, yeah. <laughs> God, God bless you if you listen to us this long. <laughs>